Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Time now for the Character and Smallman Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It is 701, your time check, brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex Jeweler. Good morning, Michelle. How are you doing? I am doing well, Randy. Welcome. It's great to have you back in studio. Thank you. Great to be here. Thanks to Alexa Dat for filling in yesterday from all indications, and I didn't get to hear the show, unfortunately, but I was speaking to your father and your uncle last night at the game, and they said she sounded terrific, and I appreciate her. I've heard her on the fast lane before, and I know she does great work, and great to have Alexa Dat as part of the 101 ESPN family. Yes, it is. It's great to have her in town. She does a great job for, for Bally Sports Midwest, too, but yeah, we had a lot of fun, Randy. Yesterday, we had Danny Wexelman on the show as well, so we just had a lot of girl power going on. Love that. That's, that's great to hear. Meanwhile, here's what we got coming up on this show. We're going to talk to the Mizzou head football coach, Eli Drinkwitz, at the bottom of the hour. And I'm going to be with Eli tomorrow at a National Football Foundation event. Looking forward to having the coach on the show. Also, you spoke to David Perron. We'll hear from him at the top of the 8 o'clock hour. Darren Pang will join us at 8.30. Claves, and by the way, an early edition of the fight. Did you win the fight yesterday? I did, Randy. It came. To, it went down to the tiebreaker question. <laughs> I was closer to the pin, and even though I was cheering for the listener, I wanted him to win. I also breathed a sigh of relief as to not put you in a one <laughs> one nothing hole. Thank you. So, an early edition of the fight. If you want to participate, text the word "fight" and your name to six five seven eight zero. That's coming up at eight fifteen. Panger at eight thirty. Mike Claiborne at eight forty five, and then at nine fifteen, Joe West has a new podcast coming out with Claves that starts next week. And then Chris Bell, who's going to be racing at Gateway International Raceway, will join us in the 9 o'clock hour. So a full morning of guests for you here on 101 ESPN. How'd you like the end of that game last night? You know, uh, it wasn't great. It wasn't great. There's nothing like an early uh, season or or an April ninth inning implosion for us to dissect today. (laughs) Little little heartbreak last night. Both starters brilliant. Miles Michaelis for the Cardinals. Seven innings, four walks. Or four hits, rather, a walk and five strikeouts. Max Scherzer, Michelle, seven innings, two hits, a walk, and ten strikeouts. How about this statistic? Scherzer's teams, the Nationals, Dodgers, and Mets, are now unbeaten in his last 17 regular season starts. Ridiculous. Over three teams, 17 Ridiculous. games without a loss. Man, I I will always look back on Max Scherzer and the Cardinals as one of the big what-ifs of yeah, my sports life. No doubt. So it's scoreless as we go to the bottom of the eighth. Trevor May pitching for the Mets. Singles by Yachty and Bay. Start things off for the cards. Tommy Edmond moves the runners up with a productive out. And after a walk to Paul Goldschmidt, loaded the bases. Tyler O'Neill. The 0 1. O'Neill out to left. It's sinking. Base hit. One run in. Here comes another. 2 0 St. Louis. Tyler O'Neill comes through in the bottom of the eighth. Fist pumps throughout St. Louis is looking good for the Redbirds. Giovanni Gallego starts the ninth and gets Pete Alonzo, one out, a single and another out, so you have two outs now, and Mark Hanna at the plate. 3-2 from Gallegos, and he hits it on the ground behind third. Arenado will make the sidearm throw high, and it sails away! Escobar scores! Canna took the turn, but he goes back to first. The game continues. Arenado throws one away. It's 2-1, and the Mets on the tying run at first base. 
That's the last thing in the world you expect to happen with two out of the ninth inning. If you would have told me before the game that Nolan Arenado would have an error like that, I'd be like, you're crazy. There's absolutely no way. That is the most shocking thing that yeah. you, that could happen. And it can't come in the fourth inning with two out and nobody on. Of course. Right? It's got to come in the ninth with a runner aboard to allow a run to score. And we're all saying, uh-oh. And Travis Jankowski pinch runs, moves to third on Jeff McNeil's double. So it's still a 2-1 Cardinal lead, and the very slow Dominic Smith is the hitter. Now pulls one over the bag. Goldsmith with a sprawling stop. The race to the bag. And Dom is safe. And two runs score. And the Mets take the lead. Unbelievable. Goldsmith with a great play, but Gallegos slow getting off the mound. And Dom Smith beat him to the bag. Jankowski and McNeil both race home. And the Mets lead it 3-2 to two in the ninth. So, Dom Smith, did you think you'd make it? felt slow, but I was trying to run hard. I was trying to run my fastest. We got to get the times, um, and then hopefully I can beat it eventually in a year. But I was trying. I was trying to run hard for sure. Jeff McNeil said after the game, that's the fastest 90 feet he's ever run in his entire <laughs> <Ever>. life. <laughs> and Gallegos, as was mentioned on SNY, didn't break quickly to first. McNeil didn't stop running. A two-run homer off of TJ McFarland followed. 5-2 was the final as the Mets beat the Cardinals in a heartbreaker for the Redbirds. Yeah, not great. But Randy, why don't we look at the positives because that's what we do and another unbelievable outing from Miles Michaelis Mm -hmm. we had a lot of questions heading into the season about the Cardinals starting pitching for Miles Michaelis to be able to go out there give you that performance last night seven shutout shutout innings he only four hits one walk and Randy over his last three starts only one earned run in 20 and two-thirds innings Miles Michaelis looking good he's been fantastic and we can absolutely and I'm sure throughout the day here on the show and on this on this show and on the station we're going to take a micro view of what happened last night. But if you take a macro view, okay, look at it from 5,000 feet. The Cardinals lost a game that Max Scherzer started for the opponent. That's, I'm not shocked. Now, the way it happened, didn't want it to happen that way, but just take a macro view of 162 games and just go through and say, yeah, they're probably going to lose that game that Scherzer starts for the Mets. So, even though you had it, yes, if it it's horrible this morning, but I think if you look at it from a logical point of view, you weren't supposed to win that game. Fair, fair, Randy. I also think if you are looking at it from individual micro moments, Nolan Arenado is not usually going to make an error like that. That's very uncharacteristic for him, and it's still early in the season, but we know that these these could be one of those games that you look back on and you're like, well, they had that one in hand. If only they could have held on yeah. for the ninth. So, and you're, that's exactly right. If uh, that's what I say about bad losses and good wins, if you win by a game or lose by a game, that's the one. That's one of the games that you might look back at. But when it's Nolan Arenado making the air, you say that was just weird. That's yeah. just weirdness. And yeah. it's baseball. Yeah, right. That, that that how baseball go. But you're right. Normally we would say, oh, Scherzer in St. Louis for his new team. Oh, done. The, yeah. the Mets are going to win. But that's the that's my positivity on a Tuesday morning is that, I like that. I'm Miles Michaelis is looking very sharp, and that's very good news for the Cardinals. Yeah, he's, yeah, not good last night. And the pitching in general, the starting pitching has really been. Very good, hasn't it? You, you get a good start out of Hudson. Mats has kind of turned things around. Actually, Wayno is the guy that I'm sure looks at himself and says, man, I, I, I could do a little bit better than this. And then Hicks goes tonight for the Cardinals, and that's going to be what it's going to be. I was shocked that they got three innings out of him, and if you can build him up, all the better. But 
the starting pitching has been kind of a revelation based upon what we saw through the first trip through the rotation. It's been absolutely outstanding, and you just hope that they can stay healthy and maintain it. And Randy, when Jack Flaherty comes back and gives you 24 starts, oh, then what doctor. will the rotation look like? <laughs> then all of a sudden... You win 105 games. That's right. Then all of a sudden, we're not talking about an April 25th, ninth inning blow up to the Mets. Exactly. There was some action last night in the NBA in the St. Louis and big time. Jason Tatum is one of the best players in the NBA. Tatum drives down and throws it down. Wow. And he reps his city. Who do you got in the Super Bowl tonight? Oh, the St. Louis Rams. Oh, he can't let it go. The St. Louis Rams. It's time for the Jason Tatum Minute on Carriker and Smallman. Michelle, at least somebody from St. Louis is going to be in a second round of the playoffs for sure. <laughs> yes. Right? Yes, Jason Tatum, what an absolute star. 116-112 win over the Nets last night, sweeping the Nets of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving in the first round of the playoffs. Tatum, 29 points, 9 of 16 from the floor, 4 of 6 from three-point land. He went 7 of 8 from the floor, or from the free-throw line, rather. Five assists, three rebounds, and the Celtics sweep the Nets with a 116-112 win. And we were talking about this off the air. If you're going to pick out a very soon-to-be face of the league, LeBron is the face of the league right now, will be until he retires. He's even... Uh, selling the the new GMC. Did you see they're making a, an electric Hummer? What? And he is the the pitch man for it. It's a Hummer. They've that was a GM product, and they quit making them in what oh eight or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and now they're making a new Hummer. GMC is, and LeBron is the pitch man. For oh, him. I think I have seen that commercial. With He's, the crabs. Yes, with the crabs. I've seen that. Yes, yeah. absolutely. But anyway, LeBron is the the face of the league. But. Playing on the franchise that he plays on and being the guy that he is and being the player that he is, Jason Tatum fits the bill as a future face of the league, doesn't he? He absolutely does uh, for so many reasons. One, he's showing that he can do it on the court and has done it for a few years now and he's had a gradual ascension as a player number two he's playing in a market and for a team that matters which is unfortunately a big deal yeah. but I look at some of the people who would challenge him for that throne Devin Booker Giannis who's obviously a champion mm-hmm. I really Ja Luka. Ja Luca. I just think Jason Tatum ha- is the way that he plays and like even in this series he went up against Kevin Durant who is who most people would say is the best player in the world and through the series he held him to 15 points he was doing it at in every way possible, and he's challenging the best guy, and he's beating yep. him. But I just think he has the the build from a game style standpoint, from a personality standpoint, to be the face of the NBA. I agree with you, and it's great to have him from St. Louis. The other NBA games last night, set, the Sixers couldn't put away Toronto. Toronto wins 103-88. Philly leads that series three games to two, and Dallas leads Utah 3-2 after a 102-77 victory last night in Dallas. The Blues are at Colorado tonight. Colorado's lost four in a row and they're beat up. Landeskog is out. Rantanen is sick. Uh, Devin Taves has been out. And they're going to try the Avalanche to make a statement. Because when you've lost four in a row and the Blues and the Wild are the two teams that can beat them in the West, Mm -hmm. I think it's an important game for Colorado and obviously an important game for the Blues because the Minnesota Wild never lose. Yes. If the Blues were to come out tonight, though, Randy, and not look their best, and I do think that they will. They've been rolling. Obviously, there's no reason to think so. But these last two games, as the Blues are getting ready to enter the playoffs, how much stock are you putting into these two games? I think the Blues want to win them, so that's why I'm going to put stock into them, because 
these are playoff games because the Blues, their coaches tell them, we want a home ice advantage. So I do put a lot into this, and especially tonight's game because it's a team that you're going to see in the playoffs. I think it's more important, actually, for the Blues to make a statement to Colorado than vice versa. To set the tone? Yeah, for what you might see in a second-round series unless... Colorado loses in the first round, which could happen. And Vegas, by the way, is not going to make the playoffs, which is, that's a, a really bad situation there because they have no cap room. And right now, they're they're three points behind with three games to go. Three points behind Dallas. But they don't have any cap room. They've lost their goalie for the season, and he's having surgery. So Vegas is not going to be a threat for the rest of this season. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. We're off and running here on 101 ESPN. Coming up. Was last night's loss just a case of Buck Showalter getting his DNA intubated into the New York Mets? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. New York Mets over the Cardinals last night, 5-2 at the ballpark. We'll take your text, 65780, about that game. And, Michelle, one thing that I thought as I watched everything unfold, and I always go back to Tony's line, we play a hard nine, and the Mets absolutely did that, right, with McNeil not stopping and rounding third and scoring from second base, and with Dom Smith, who's admittedly slow, mm-hmm. digging down the line as hard as he could so that he could try to beat Gallegos to the bag. And then on the flip side, Gallegos not breaking from the mound to get to first so that he could beat Smith. That was an easy out for the Cardinals if Gallegos plays the hard nine yes. and bounds from the mound and gets to first quickly enough. Yeah, Tony LaRusso would have been just beside himself after yeah. a game like last night. Tony TV would have been very entertaining. <laughs> but especially when Paul Goldschmidt makes an exceptional play for you, you need to be there to back up your teammate. You need to do your job when you're watching your teammate do his. And I thought it was really telling Randy that in that moment when Gallegos wasn't there that Paul Goldschmidt is not only screaming at him, pointing to home plate, but his body language afterwards where he put his head in his hands like, come on, man, Mm -hmm. really? That was really telling for me. You know what's interesting is that under Tony, several years ago, you remember remember this, it was a game in New York against the Mets where Trevor Rosenthal didn't cover first and the Cardinals lost a game. And it was a great teaching moment for Tony and the staff Mm -hmm. because that showed the Cardinals, hey, if you don't do everything that we talked about in spring training, the little things, the hustle, playing the hard nine, it can cost you a game. And Rosenthal, from there on, every time he had to cover first, he was there. And maybe this is a teaching moment for Ali Marmol and Mike Maddox and the rest of the staff. I don't know how it can't be because you can't let mistakes like that happen again. Ali talked about that after the game, about how mental mistakes like that, you're just not going to be able to to put up with things like that. Physical mistakes are one thing, but mental mistakes, not so much. Ali Marmol on Gallegos not covering first quickly enough. Ah, pretty simple. Um, we're going to make physical mistakes. That's a mental mistake. Can't excuse it. He knows it. We know it. He's got to cover first. Pretty simple. Yeah, pretty simple. Just got to cover first. I love that he's very blunt about it. Mm -hmm. He's not trying to mince words or sugarcoat it in any way. It was a mental mistake. We can't have it. Everybody that watched that game knows it, and he's going to know it, too. Meanwhile, if Gallegos uh, had time to throw the runner out at home was a big question that we were asking as the play unfolded. What did Marmol think? Yeah, I'm not sure if if he turned and 
throws home if we got him. Um, at that point, I looked at the overhead. I'll look at it again. It would have been tough. Shouldn't even get to that point. That's the key. It, it shouldn't have gotten to that point. You should right. have had the runner at first. And going back to what he said, by the way, physical errors like Nolan Arenado's, well, Arenado's going to make eight errors a year. You say, okay, this is going to happen. He's a human being. Yeah. Physical error. And he was trying to make a play. Gallegos, he, he just, it, it was a complete mental breakdown on his part just to, I don't know if he thought that the ball was going to get past Goldschmidt. Maybe. I, I don't know what the thinking was. I was thinking that, too. Did he not think Goldie would make the play, which is why he didn't have that quick step? I don't know. Meanwhile, when you look at the Mets, Michelle, they're off to a fantastic start under Buck Showalter. And Showalter said, uh, or rather, uh, Dominic Smith said, I feel like this win just shows the identity of our team and especially what Buck preaches to us every day. We're a resilient team and I feel like we're in it until the last pitch every night. Doesn't that sound like Tony Larusa? Doesn't that sound like old school Tony? I was just going to say it sounds like old school baseball. It sounds yeah. like that I, I'm not taking my foot off the gas intensity that we see yep. from a lot of old school managers. And yesterday, Randy Alexa and I talked about this a little bit because she gave me a take it or leave it where she said the Mets would win the pennant. And I said, even though the talent is there and they're off to a great start and they do look like the new look Mets, I still can't go there because I just have this feeling that the Mets, regardless of who's in charge, will find a way to met <laughs> right, it up. You right. know, But if anyone is going to change their fortunes is going to be a guy like Buck Showalter. You sign a guy like Scherzer, you get a guy like Showalter to manage, all of a sudden your competitive level has no choice but to rise to a different level. And another part of what they've done, obviously Cohen has spent a lot of money there, but they brought in a lot of really good defensive players. Mm -hmm. Another line from... Uh, from Dom Smith. Even the games we don't come out with a win. I feel like we make it tough on our opponents when they do beat us. It just shows our DNA and what we're about. So clearly they've been talking about identity and they've been preaching a lot of stuff internally. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the Mets last year, there's a lot of chaos. There was a, all of the stuff with flipping off the fans. Yep. You have the owner constantly talking about the, what's going on with the franchise, tweeting about things. Went that, through a couple GMs. Yes. There was a lot of drama and turmoil mm -hmm. within the Mets organization. But you bring in a guy like Buck Showalter, you bring in a proven winner who takes no nonsense like Max Scherzer. Those are the type of people that instill the DNA that they're talking about. Because not only is the manager not going to allow stuff like that to mm -hmm. go on as long as you give him the agent and the respect that he deserves, the respect to run things the way that he deserves. But Max Scherzer is not going to put up with stuff like that. Right. This is We know how intense he is, not only because we've observed him as a competitor, but because he's a St. Louis guy, so we always have one eye trained to guys like that. But Max... Brown or blue? I don't know which one. Take your pick. <laughs> Either or, Randy. Both of them, are. both eyes are not going to be... <laughs> be allowing the drama to go on in New York. I I wouldn't want to act up or do things knowing that Max Scherzer or somebody I have to answer no. to. And along those lines, do you think that with the Cardinals, that's Yachty and Wayno, and now to an extent Albert too, the people that are in charge of that clubhouse, it's for no team, it's the manager. The manager's got his office, and Buck certainly has more of his thumbprint on his clubhouse because he's new and he's Buck Showalter. With this team, Mike Schilt empowered the players. And I think Mar Marmol has 
much the same philosophy. I have to believe that Yachty and Albert and Wayno are talking to Gallegos today about what didn't happen last night in terms of covering first. I bet they already spoke to him last night about it, and I'm sure they're going to reiterate it today. We, uh, When we speak to Adam Wayno, he's talked many times about um, in moments where young pitchers have had uh, instances where they've blown up or something has gone awry for them, he's taken them aside and talked to them and, and walked them through that. And I think that that's great. But those three names that you mentioned, Randy, remind me of what we're talking about with Max Scherzer and Buck Showalter. I think it's really good in any sort of group environment where there's a hierarchy to have some sort of an intimidation factor mm-hmm. because that forces you every day to be hyper aware of your job. And am I doing my job because I'm going to be held to a certain standard? There will be consequences consequences from these people if I don't match their level. And that's one thing that I think is going to be really interesting about this next iteration of the Cardinals when you don't yeah. have Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina and now an Albert Pujols back. When they're not setting that tone is, I know Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arnato are very competitive guys when Jack Flaherty's in the mix. So is he, a lot of guys fit that mold, but are they going to hold people accountable the way that those three do? And the other question is, I think Harrison Bader has that sort of a personality. He's a leader. But is he going to be good enough so that when he goes to a player to try to hold them accountable, they say, well, you're hitting 265, dude. You're a good center fielder. Is he going to have that sort of cachet with his teammates? That's such a good point because it does have to be a mix. You do have yeah. to be the best player on your team and also have that that intense level of competition right. or competitiveness, excuse me. Um and I think it's great, too, because all three of those guys, they know how to finesse it when they need to, right. right? They also know how to be a great mentor and a great teacher and joke around with guys. It's not like they're on a 10 at all times. They might be at a 10 at all times, but they know how to not project that they're at a 10 at all times. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, the head coach of the Missouri Tigers, Eli Drinkwitz on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker, the head football coach at the University of Missouri. Eli Drinkwitz has been a busy man, spending a lot of time in St. Louis. Last week, he was here giving away free gas with our buddy Demetrius Johnson and the DJ Charitable Foundation. Tomorrow, I'll be with Eli at a National Football Foundation event here in St. Louis. And Eli's with us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Coach Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, good morning. How you doing? Good morning. If I can find a way to win a few more football games, maybe I'll get a key to that city as much time as I've been spending there, man. <laughs> I think we can get it for you. Hey, how long was that yeah. line for the free gas? Woo. I was worried, man. That was a long line, and I was knew we were going to disappoint some people because I knew we were going to run out of, of money. I wish, I wish I'd had an unlimited fund, but that was a really cool thing to do, and really proud of our kids, the way uh, our, our four players were there to really help and give back to the community, and just a, a good reminder of, of uh, you know, using our platform in a positive way. Absolutely, Coach. It's great to see. Well, we want to talk to you about several things, but let's talk about the black and gold spring game, which you had a few weeks ago. What were some early observations you had from your team after that game? Well, I thought, uh, obviously, we were very explosive at the wide receiver position. I thought both Dominic Lovett and Luther Burden, Mookie Cooper, Chance Looper, Toski Dove, Barrett Bannister, J.J. Hester, all Six of those names really stood out in a positive way. Mackay Miller had a big-time catch on a third down. Um, I was really impressed with our running back depth. I thought both uh, um, the two transfers, Nate Pete uh, uh, and Elijah Young and Cody Schrader, 
B.J. Harris really uh, did some nice things. Taj Butt scored a touchdown. So I was really impressed with those two positions because of the way the amount of times they're going to have to touch the football. I thought both of our quarterbacks had positive and negatives. Obviously, we're going to have to take care of the football better. Uh, both of them made a couple of key mistakes that in a, in a, in a true game could get you beat. Um, and then defensively, you know, we, we kind of put their hands behind their back a little bit, so to speak, with some of the stuff we were asking to do. But I thought they did play really hard and, and uh, look forward to uh, continue to build on what we got accomplished this spring. Coach, you mentioned that you already have Burden and you've had him since the turn of the semester, but you haven't had Sam Horn, your freshman quarterback. How much does it set a freshman quarterback back that he, he you don't have him, he's not around the program for this spring semester as far as the competition goes with uh, both Macon and, uh, and Brady? Well, I don't know if it sets him back. I mean, obviously, I think he's going to have to come in here and get acclimated quick. Um, but he's also uh, benefited from a new NCAA rule that allows us to have summer access and allows us to be out there when he throws a football and, and Coach Hamden and myself get to spend some time with him. So we'll get him acclimated. And, and at the end of the day, like everybody's waiting on me to name the starting quarterback. Like at the end of the day, all they got to do is show it to their teammates, right? And so uh, whoever decide, demonstrates to the rest of the team that they're, they're the starting quarterback, that's when we'll know who it is. And, whether that's Sam doing it in, in uh, fall camp or Brady doing it this summer or Mako doing it this summer, you know, that's really up to them. Coach, you mentioned the NCAA rules, so I want to stick there for a second. It feels like every time I read about your program or, or college athletics, period, there's always some sort of nugget in any story I read about the transfer portal. It's like a full-time job yeah. keeping up with the transfer portal these days. How has the transfer portal and the shifts in the landscape in college athletics changed the dynamics of your job? Well, you know, I've only been a head coach for going on my fourth season, so I don't really know much different. Um, but I would say this, the combination, if we just had the transfer portal uh, alone, I think college football could handle it. But but when you had the seismic shift of adding the transfer portal along with NIL and the free reign that NIL has become, you you are talking about a, a seismic shift that nobody really knows Uh you know, I think the original intent and purpose of NIL, which was good, I thought, you know, the ability for these players to be able to make money and endorse products was good. But now for it to have been weaponized and recruiting and and uh, it's just gone a long way. And so, you know, I think we can either complain about it or adapt and react. And I think that's what we're doing right now is trying to adapt and react. And hopefully uh, the state of Missouri and our communities will continue to uh, figure out ways to utilize these rules to our advantage because that's what everybody else is doing. You know, Eli, when you get together with the other coaches, especially in this conference in the SEC, what sort of a discussion is there about this? Is is it just kind of taken for granted, like you said, that it's going to be weaponized? Um, I mean, we're not in the habit of of sharing a whole lot of secrets with everybody else, so there's not a whole lot of real discussion about it. I think there's some conversations about whether or not it's healthy for the game, but the reality of it is, I mean, most of the coaches know, I mean, obviously they're not directly involved because that would be against the rules, but they know what's going on. And as long as it's benefiting them, they're fine with it. And when it's not benefiting them, then they complain about it. I mean, that's the same with me. So, uh, you know, I think we all understand what it is. 
Mizzou football coach Eli Drinkwitz with us on 101 ESPN. I saw a photo of the SEC coaches meeting, and you and Saban were the last two guys walking out the door. As he kept you around, what sort of questions was he asking you? Yeah, right. He wasn't asking me anything. I was. I asked him if I could carry his bag to the car, man. So, now nah, he he's a. Uh, I mean, obviously, he's one of the best to ever do it, if not the best. And uh, I, I'm I'm just trying to to learn anything I can from anybody. These are uh, these are difficult jobs, and there's there's not like a course you get to take on it. It's kind of trial by fire. So. Anytime I can pick the brain of somebody who's who's had as much success as both Coach Saban or any a number of those coaches in that uh, those meetings, I, I tend to do it. Hey, Coach Steve Wilkes goes back to the NFL, and Blake Baker is promoted to defensive coordinator. Are there any fundamental changes you're going to make defensively? Will we will what we see defensively look different on game day? Yeah, we're going to improve our fundamentals. I mean, that's that's number one is we're going to try to be better at our fundamentals and techniques and not give up 62 points to Tennessee. And so, I mean, hopefully there's a lot of it that improves and gets better. Uh, but from a, st- a structure standpoint, we're still going to base out of the four down front. And our defensive players can carry over some of the calls that they learned last year because there was improvement towards the end of the season. Um, but there will be – each coordinator has his own fingerprints that he's going to put on uh, a scheme. So there, there'll definitely be uh, adjustments for Blake and, and what he and how he sees this defense continuing to, to grow. Well, Coach, we have to go back to Luther Burden. Everyone very excited about Luther Burden going to Mizzou and the talent that he's bringing to the program. You mentioned that he's very explosive and you're seeing a lot of explosiveness out of the wide receiver position. But give us some more early impressions you have of Luther Burden and how he's fitting into the program. Well, he's a tremendous competitor. Uh, I think the thing that that has really stood out to me is uh, is how hard he competes on a daily basis. And and, uh, he's not afraid to take hard coaching. Uh, it doesn't bother him. He knows he wants to be great. I think the other thing is he's really adapted to the rest of the team, um, understanding that he's a part of the team and um, doing a good job of doing what we ask him to do as far as fit in and, and contribute to community service and do all the things that we ask our players to do. So he's done a really good job of that. How important is that when you have a prolific recruit that's willing to take hard coaching? Because I get the sense, at least in basketball, that that's one of the issues with guys wanting to transfer is that they don't want to take hard coaching. But when you have Luther Burden willing to take it, it seems like that would have an effect on other guys too. Yeah, I mean, it allows you as your coach to coach your best player the hardest and set the tone for the rest of the team. And I think... Uh, when you look back over the course of time, the best teams are usually, uh, you know, the coaches would tell you they get to coach their best players the hardest. And so I think that's what you, you know, in recruiting, that's what we got to continue to look for and, and find and, and uh, you know, be willing to walk away from, from, from recruits that give us the red flags that that's not what they're really into. So, um, you know, this new day and age, I think we coaches as, as much as anybody have got to do a better job of, uh, betting character and making sure you get the right fit. Coach, from a personal perspective, how was your off season? Can you give us one of a, a highlights, a non-football highlight from your off season? Well, I mean, it's uh, off season's just kind of started. I, I think honestly, one of my highlights has been doing the, the uh, teaming up with Demetrius Johnson and doing the gas giveaway. I thought that was a really unique idea and, and cool thing that that he asked me to be a part of and. 
and genuinely enjoyed the interactions with the people of St. Louis. Um, it was great to throw out the first pitch for the for the Cardinals game or for the Royals game. Um, you know, got a chance to to boo the the Kansas Jayhawks, which is always <laughs> fun. You know, I'm still waiting. I have not been to a Blues game. I got to get that fixed. I, I have not been to a Blues game yet. I think that's probably something I need to get done. Uh, you know, my phone's always ready anytime the Cardinals want to call. I know they dropped a heartbreaker last night. You know, last year that when I took the football team uh, there, that's when we started our. How many games we win in a row last year? Seventeen. Uh, like, yeah, seventeen. That's when we started the seventeen game streak. So if they want to get a streak started again, they know my cell phone number. And coach, the Blues will start the playoffs here in St. Louis next week. And if you want to be introduced to hockey, the best hockey you'll ever see, and maybe the best sports you'll ever see, is the Stanley Cup playoffs. So we need to get you here for the Blues in the playoffs in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah, okay. So we got the Blues playoffs next week. Go Blues, all right. And I've got to figure that out. I'm, I'm coming. I don't know when. I don't know who's got me a ticket, but I'm coming. I think the Blues are listening and they're aware. Yeah, Coach, we know some people. <laughs> we'll get you connected. Yeah, sounds good. I may have to call my, my people at Anheuser-Busch, see if I can't get into a suite or something. Yeah, I think, highlight it a little bit. <laughs> I, think, I think you could pull that off if you need to. Hey, it's always great to hear your voice. Thanks so much for the time. We do appreciate it. And I will see you tomorrow at the National Football Foundation event. And I'll just say, here's Eli Drinkwitz and you take over, okay? Man, I cannot wait to see you, Randy. It's been a long time, buddy. Get your best material ready, okay? <laughs> you got it. You too. <laughs> we'll see you there. Take care. Yeah. All right, buddy. Be good. Thanks. See you later. That is Eli Drinkwitz, head coach at the University of Missouri on 101 ESPN. We have got to get him to a blues game, Randy. Definitely. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll make that happen. We'll call over there. If Maybe he could get some goals like John Hamm did the other night. That would be great. Um, and like he said, if the Mizzou Tigers were, in fact, at the first game that started the 17-game winning streak, we need to get them to Bush Stadium, but let's wait until a time when we know we need their juju. And we'll bring them over there. Good idea. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service. Text line 65780. Take it or leave it. Coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. Take it or leave it on 101 ESPN. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Matthew, Michelle, Randy with you. And Michelle, as it turns out, the guy that Mike Tyson bloodied on that JetBlue flight, Melvin Townsend third, is a career criminal with multiple arrests for serious crimes. Oh. And as a matter of fact, as Tyson got off the plane, he took a photo with another guy, and he was happy and chill, and the guy gave him a book, and Tyson was really cool. Take it or leave it. The best vigilante America could have is Mike Tyson. Ooh, I'll take that. <laughs> like you mean like a like a bounty hunter almost? Kind of, yeah. He's gonna hunt you down. Yeah, yeah. He's if he gets a hold of you, you're certainly toast. Right. Yeah, and he's he's still in very good condition, and 
even I think if you are a well, I guess this guy wasn't smart enough to be afraid of Mike Tice, but I would think 99% of the living world that's paying attention would be afraid of Mike Tyson. I don't know how you're not afraid of Mike Tyson. I know that this guy was inebriated, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but even in my drunkest state, Randy, I would still be afraid of Mike Tyson. Right. Yeah. Even even blackout drunk, you should at least have an idea. Oh, it's Mike Tyson. He's got face tats. <laughs> right. yeah. He's huge. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, I imagine as this guy was ant- uh, antagonizing him or bothering him, that you could see it in Mike Tyson's face. You could see the anger start to seep in. Yeah, right. That's that's when you start to get afraid. Yeah. Melvin has been convicted in the past of fraud, grand theft, burglary, possession of controlled substances, and trafficking in stolen property. Wow. So he's got a few things on the resume. That is a list. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Randy, at the top of the show, we talked about the Celtics sweeping the Nets in the first round uh, series of the playoffs in the NBA. 116 to 112 was the score, uh, the final score in game four. You missed all the Ben Simmons chatter yesterday. I really would love to get your take on Ben Simmons. Beautiful outfit. Which one? The purple and yellow. Well, he had a green one. I mean, he's been yeah. all a rainbow. It's pretty fun to see the wide shot of their bench with everybody in black and then him there. (laughs) Just sitting there. He sticks out like a sore thumb. It's ridiculous. So a lot of discussion about Ben Simmons quitting on his team. There's a discussion about uh, the mental health component Mm -hmm. of this and if he'll ever really be the type of player that can play in this environment. Take it or leave it. We see Ben Simmons play in a playoff game in the future. It's a great one. And I'm going to leave it. I just get the sense here we've had a whole season where he didn't play. And it's predominantly, at least according to his camp, because of mental health issues. And those are tough to overcome. And I don't know what they are or what he's dealing with. But I just think it's going to be really tough for him to overcome that and deal with the stress of NBA playoff action. I just don't see it getting any better. No. If you are unavailable to your team now when... Kevin Durant and Kyrie are clearly more of the faces that are going to be held accountable for this than you are, and you still can't get out there and help your team. Now we've added another chapter to this story of you and how you crumble under pressure, Mm -hmm. and there's more discussion about it. You have everybody on TV calling you a quitter. I think that that just intensifies things for you and makes it even that much more difficult for him to overcome in a highly pressurized moment. And especially if he's in a market like New York, because what happened the last time we saw him in the playoffs? He turned out a dunk so that he could pass. And maybe that had something to do with uh, the the mental health issues that he's dealing with. So I'm with you. It's going to be very, uh, you would think, and we all root for him and hope for him, but you would think it'd be really difficult to deal with the pressures inherent in being an NBA player in the playoffs. All right, Matthew, what do we got on the text line 65780? From the 636, take it or leave it. The Blues losing tonight wouldn't be the worst thing as it would help the Avs get closer to the President's Trophy curse. Ooh, interesting one. I think it's going to be, I'm going to leave it because I don't think that with this four-game losing streak now, the Avalanche can win the President's Trophy. Right now, you've got Florida sitting at 120 points, and you've got Colorado sitting at 116, each with three games left. I don't see Florida losing enough to allow Colorado to win the President's Trophy. But I would take it if it meant that Colorado would be cursed. Yeah, it's a good curse. I like that. Yeah, we want any Stan Kroenke team to be cursed. Yeah, obviously. Let's, let's let's go with that. Right. Yeah. Uh, six three six. A Cardinals loss tonight might. Bleh, excuse me. A Cardinals loss like they had last night is actually good because we can now see how Marmol and the team bounce back after a frustrating loss. I'll take that. 
I'm going to leave it because you never want to see your team lose in a fashion like the Cardinals did last night. But I do think it was refreshing for me to hear Ali's comments after the game. He did not mince his words. He he wasn't um, condescending about it. He, it wasn't like he was throwing a Gallegos under the bus. Mm-hmm. But I like that he did not try to sugarcoat it in any way. This was a mental error. We cannot have this. Everybody watched the game, knew it. He knows it, and we'll move forward. All right, I want to get this from you guys. Because of the Arenado error, in which Gallegos got a ground ball, all you can do is get a ground ball. You can't control where it goes. Did Gallegos do his job? In that moment, sure. And that was the third out. But then when you don't get the third out, your job continues. Yes. You have to continue doing your job. Right. And then in subsequent plays, he did not do his and job. And he controlled his own destiny in yes. that particular situation. He did like 75% of his job. But the problem is, in, uh, with this team especially, you can't... Fielding has to be a, a part of your job. You're, you're, uh, part of right. getting the ground ball, if you're a ground ball pitcher and you're pitching in a system that takes ground balls and, and needs them to work, mm-hmm. then part of it is covering first base in those scenarios right. like you should. Here's my point as a closer. And by the way, I'm not absolving him of any of the issues in terms of leaving the not getting off the mound but his job is to get three outs and he got one he got two he got three and then had the error but the third one was not an out exactly right (laughs) can't hand baseball teams extra outs 636 it's the national it's national pretzel day take it or leave it a pretzel with cheese the most underrated ballpark snack Hmm. gotta leave that michelle as you know i don't get cheese with pretzels neither do i it congeals too quickly. Mm-hmm. I actually think it's one of the most overrated ballpark snacks. I'm with you because ordinarily, and I don't know why this is the case, but the typical ballpark pretzel just is not great. If you go to a kid's game where the parents, the volunteers are making the pretzels and they're fresh yeah. and they're soft, mm-hmm. they're fine. But it seems like they start making them at about four at the ballpark. And so if you get one at 715, it's hardened and not great. For all the advancements that we've made as a society and from a technology standpoint, you'd think that there was a more effective way to make sure that the ballpark pretzel and cheese were fresh when the customer ordered it. Mm-hmm. I know it's hard because everybody's hustling and bustling, serving other customers. You put them on the warmer, but that work, that means that the pretzel, likely when you get it, is going to be hardened and mm-hmm. a little dry, and the cheese is never as fresh as you want it to be. Let me give you the most underrated ballpark snack. It's the Cracker Jack. It's in the song. And not enough people bring up the Cracker Jack, which are delicious. I wonder if they still come with a toy. I don't know, because I didn't even know they were still serving Cracker Jacks at the ballpark. In the late 90s, early 2000s, they came with like a sticker. Oh, okay. Buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jack. It's an underrated snack. No, most underrated snack at the ballpark, because it's a mouthful, is when you get the ice cream in the the mini helmet. You know, people are saying, you want a hot dog, you want nachos, you want a pretzel. Not, do you want ice cream in a mini helmet? That's the most underrated snack. And you get a souvenir to go home. I wonder if they do ice cream in a, like, regulation helmet. That would be awesome. They should do that. <laughs> That'd be fun. <laughs> but the problem with that is, is that you have to eat it really quickly because it's True, going to melt summer, yeah. and you'll definitely get a, a headache. Yeah. A, free, a cold oh, headache. A freeze three, headache. 314, take it or leave it. Nathan Walker plays more minutes than Jordan Cairo in the playoffs. Nadub. I'm going to leave that. I'm going to leave it too, but I am surprised that you would leave it, Randy. That's your, your dude. It's my guy, no doubt about it, but... And Kairou, I've wondered about him in the playoffs, but I think he probably redeemed himself a little bit the other night. But he needs to play well yeah. in these last two regular season games. He needs to show the coach something. 
Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Randy. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. Coming up, David Perron and the Blues are in Colorado tonight. Michelle had a chance to catch up with David yesterday, and we'll hear, we'll hear that interview next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. He gets the job done on the ice every night. Perron, he tucked in like you put the corner of his seat underneath your mattress in the morning. Blues forward David Perron, and he joins Character and Smallman right now. Perron, he scores! On 101 ESPN, driven by Pure Performance, the only stop for all your aftermarket vehicle needs. Welcome back to Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman here with David Perron, our weekly visit with David Perron. And David, first things first, thanks for taking the time to join us. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Great game for the Blues last night. Your team gets behind 2-0 to start the game in the first period, but you rally with four goals in the second period. You go on to win it 6-3. Your team, David, has been exceptional in the second period this season. What is it that clicks for your team after that first intermission? Yeah, well, it was an emotional for the Ducks, obviously, with Getzlaff playing his last game. Uh, we knew that, uh, I mean, even though we came out pretty hard and they just found a way to get a couple goals uh, for the club, really, and we just stuck with our game plan, stuck with the way we wanted to play all night uh, and found a way to have success. And really, um, it was uh, it was awesome to, for a team to, to do that. Um, we weren't pleased with uh, the way the third period went. In uh, in Arizona, we kind of let their team uh, come back in the game, and obviously those are, are games that we should take care of. So um, it was it was great that we got the two points. I want to stick with Ryan Getzlaff for a second, David. You shared with us a little bit about your relationship with him earlier this year, and last night was his final NHL game, and I saw you were the last guy in the line to greet him at the end. That had to be pretty special for you to be there and share that experience with him. Yeah, yeah, very fortunate. Very fortunate that I got a chance to play with him. Um, he's, he's just one of those guys that took care of everybody the right way. Um, he's a guy that um, didn't, is not even looking for any of the stuff that he's getting right now, which is uh, pretty cool uh, when people like like him uh, kind of get to, to to live that. And yeah, like just, I just kind of made a point. To, uh, I wanted kind of that, that extra half second, second with him to, to say thank you and uh, how much I appreciated um playing basically with the Ducks, uh, having a chance to play with him on his line. Um, so, But at the same time, don't want to take too much of his time just because of obviously he's got so much going on. I'm sure his head was spinning just trying to get through the day. So, uh, But, yeah, I think uh, for myself and, the, and, and my teammates who are really fortunate, we got to, to play in, that in his last game. And David, you've been in the league 15 years, and I know this might be a tough question because you're locked in right now. You're taking it game by game. You're yeah. getting prepped for the playoffs. But does a night like last night, seeing Getzlaff hang up the skates, remind you to cherish your time with this game because it won't last forever? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Every single moment, every single time there's a, a guy retiring, a legend like that, basically every, every year of my career in 15 years so far, um, Getzlaff's been a part of it. It's been a part of of uh, a team that uh, I've played against him uh, throughout my career. So obviously, you know that your time is getting closer each and every time a guy like that retires. 
Um, and and definitely, I think every single game you have to enjoy it. And uh, it's, it's we're we're lucky. We're lucky. We're fortunate to do what we do. Uh, much similar to even Albert Pools uh, coming back to the Cards. Uh, clearly, it's going to be his last year probably, and uh, he's just coming back, enjoying his time, and uh, it's, it's a cool feeling for sure, making sure that you enjoy every moment. David Perron joining us here on 101 ESPN. And David, as we get closer to the playoffs, there are a lot of similarities that are being uh, that are being made around town about this team that you're on right now and the team that won the Stanley Cup in 2019. Do you see any similarities no. between the two teams? Uh, I mean, yeah, we did we did get hot at the right time, obviously, uh, and we are pretty hot right now. We're playing good. Um, I'm 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 happy with uh, obviously. Uh, 15, 20 games ago, when before our streak started, I felt like the older guys, the coaching staff, everybody, um, kind of started hammering at, at the right message uh, each and every single time that we had a chance. Whether it was in the room, in the media, everybody kind of uh, obviously when it's in the media, the, the awareness level of every guy you you hear about it, even though that we're not just reading everything or, or looking after every uh, single message out there, but. Um, at the same time, I thought the older guys did a great job to to hammer the message, making sure that we have to start playing the right way, playing more playoff hockey because we weren't playing the way we wanted. We weren't playing the way, in our opinion, that we could uh, to to have success in the playoffs. And I felt like we've done a lot. Uh, we've done that a lot more, and uh, it's 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 a great feeling uh, headed to the playoffs. Well, one guy who's certainly been on fire is Robert Thomas. 17 games yeah. for the point streak right now. What's been the most impressive thing to you as, as you're watching his game evolve during this point streak? Yeah. Uh, just, just that he's he's taken over games. Uh, it's it's more than even just the points. I think even defensively, I think he's taken a step. Uh, I'm I'm super proud of him. I'm the way he's evolving uh, as a teammate, as a as a guy. We play um, cards on the plane. I, he's sitting right <laughs> beside me every single flight and. Uh, He's a guy that I really enjoyed getting to know uh, more and more as the years are going by. And obviously, we're we're extremely proud of uh, the way he's playing. We want him to keep going, and we need him to keep going. Uh, frankly, to, to to us for us to keep having success. So, um, no, it's it's awesome to to see it live, and uh, we were happy. Also, I think he got that assist uh, in overtime to to keep the streak going and kind of a. On, on a weird face-off play, and I was kind of giving it to him last game. I was like, "Hey, listen, like get a real, real assist this time, not not one to just keep your streak going." And sure enough, he did. So um, I'm happy for him. Um, I want to know, David, does his hot streak does that translate to his card game as well? Uh, on this flight, yes, because <laughs> I was uh, we played a game. It's called euchre, and uh, I play with Justin Falk, and he plays with uh, Tyler Bolzak. And it's kind of a two-on-two game, and uh, we've been uh, taking care of uh, of our games pretty well this year. Uh, when when I say Justin and I, but uh, recently on this on this West Coast uh, swing so far, we're we're not doing too well. So uh, we're looking forward to get uh, to Colorado, get to St. Louis, and and uh, and, and Minnesota in the first round, and then uh, hopefully we we win some more card games. David Pran joining us here on 101 ESPN. And David, we don't know if we're going to talk to you after this. Uh, you're going to get locked in for the playoffs. So just in yeah. case we don't talk to you, we have some housekeeping, some end-of-season stuff that we'd like to do with you, if that's okay. Yeah, no problem at all. Okay, so we want to do some senior superlatives, like seniors do when they graduate. So if if we were filling out the yearbook for the 2021-2022 Blues, <laughs> who would be the class clown? Oh, uh, I, I mean... There's a few, but I would say Bozak's up there. I think he's he's just a guy, in my opinion, that 
anything he says is is pretty funny uh, to me anyway. I, I would say both of that. Okay, who's the most improved? Uh, there's there's several candidates. I mean, I I mean we we spoke about Thomas. I think Kyra was definitely up there. Um, I also think a guy like Bushnevich, uh that. that Blues fans, or or I didn't really know much. I'm, I've been very impressed with him, um, but I think as a whole, I'd have to go Robert Thomas. Good pick. Okay, who has the worst taste in music? Oh, um, we I, I don't know that much uh, because of uh, in the room we just kind of Shenner kind of runs the music and he's got some good stuff going. Kind of. Uh, all kinds of different things. Like I'd say in the mornings, more like country, relaxed music, and then obviously if we have a, a game, uh, there's other, there's many things going on. So it's not like I know everyone's uh, taste, but I can tell you who's a good or bad card player. That's about it. <laughs> okay, so who is a good good card player and who is a bad one? Um, yeah, well, um, McEachern, uh, <laughs> I rinse, I rinse him pretty good, um, and he, he's been out with an injury, so. Uh, yeah, it, it's more about the wins and losses than than anything. We, like obviously, we play with a little money on the line, but it's more more to get make it fun, nothing too crazy. Um, so I would say um, I would have said Robert Thomas and, and Tyler Bozak, but these again, this this last road trip kind of made me change my mind, and we have to sharpen up our game. So we'll see. He's keeping you on your toes. Who's the best dressed yeah, guy yeah. on the team? Oh. Um, I feel like Ryan O'Reilly's suits are always dialed up. Everything's dialed up about, I don't know, like the rest of uh, everyday life, whatever, but I think his suits, he's, a lot of times he's got three pieces or just kind of, I feel like uh, he, he's always kind of ready to go. He's, he's always sharp, so I'd say him as far as game day. All right, and last one for you, David. If you had to assign one person as your team MVP this year, there's a lot of candidates. You have a lot of guys contributing every night, but who would you say is the team MVP? Um, yeah, Vladdy or, or Robert Thomas. I think I've been impressed, obviously, with uh, everybody, many guys. Uh, I, I say also Vladdy coming back. That we um, he had to deal with many things, pressure. I think he's evolving his game. I think he's getting better. Even right now, he's he's pushing for more. He wants to win, and uh, I think uh, it's awesome to see. I think as a whole, we we have a pretty deep uh, board group and uh it should uh hopefully keep up in the playoffs and have some some more playoff success and uh i think it's a it's a good thing for everybody let's turn the page to the playoffs really quickly david when i look back at the playoffs that you've endured since you guys won the stanley cup in 2020 you entered the bubble last year you were out with covid you're always motivated but i imagine you're that much more excited for the playoffs this year after the past two postseasons you've had yeah, no, definitely. Uh, it, it does feel like the the first uh, normal year since we won, really, and uh, that should be exciting for everybody. And, and that that's going to be taking part in the playoffs, and obviously not not taking anything away for from Tampa winning the last two Stanley Cup. But uh, I think this year, uh, I think we we know as a league, it's going to be a normal playoff, and uh, it's super exciting. Even last game uh, here in Anaheim, um, there was so much emotion. So. The, the building was full. The building was rocking for guess last last game, and it kind of reminded you how it's going to be. And then when the first game of playoffs starts, and uh, I think we're all excited for that. And just in case, again, we don't talk to you before the playoffs. What are you expecting yeah. from the Wild in the first round? You guys have had some battles so far this year. It's going to be an exciting matchup. But what are you expecting yeah, we, from them? Yeah, for sure. Uh, we, I mean, we've done a good job against them over the last couple of years. Uh, 
they're a really good team. They're really physical. They have many ways they can come at you, and I'm sure they're going to try and um, be way more physical than we are. Uh, not saying that we, we're not as a team, but I definitely think there, there's more candidates on their side that will try and, and kind of dictate the pace out there, and we have to, to weather or make sure that we play the right way. Obviously, um, timely goals at the right time, timely saves uh, will give us success. But, yeah, we, we believe we have success any against any team in the league right now, and uh, we just want to keep going. They're a hot team as well uh, themselves, and uh, it's going to be a good, uh, good first-round matchup. Last thing for David Prawn here on 101 ESPN. We talked about the similarities between this team and the team that won the Cup, but there's a lot of new personnel on this team, some young guys who haven't been through the gauntlet of the playoffs. What would be your advice to those guys who are doing this for the first time? Uh, n- not much, really. Just enjoy the experience. I would say just look around you and, and see what the older guys are doing. I think it's important to stay even keel no matter what happens, whether you're down a game, down two games, up two games. Uh, it, it shouldn't matter. Series can change really quickly. And make sure you stay uh, focused on the process and, and really not the outcome. And um, I think our young guys will do uh, just fine. And uh, some of them have had their experience before. Like Cairo played in the bubble. He played last year. Same with Tomer. Obviously, he won the cup with us. I know he was injured uh, toward the last part of the year. That year we won, but he's taken some some major step as a young guy, and we're excited to see uh, where this uh, where this goes in the playoffs. Two games <clears> left <throat> for the Blues. Colorado tonight. The puck drops at eight thirty, and then they close out the season with Vegas on Friday. Thanks so much as always for the time, David. And go get them tonight versus the Avs. Thanks, Michelle. I appreciate it. Michelle and David, and that was recorded yesterday when I was off, and uh, great superlative. So, Vladdy as the team MVP and comeback player of the year, I guess. I'm assuming. <laughs> yes, you can certainly make that argument. I don't know who else you'd put in that conversation for comeback player of the year other than Vladimir Tarasenko. Yeah, and the Avalanche have lost four in a row. They're missing some players tonight. Uh, we don't know if Rantanen and Landis... Rantanen has been out with an illness. Landeskog has been injured. Devin Taves has been injured. So they haven't been as healthy as they can be. They expect those guys back for the playoffs, but it certainly would benefit the Blues tonight if Colorado didn't have three of their best players available. You would think so, yeah. That yeah. is normally how that works, yeah. yeah. Pre-game with Alex Ferrario at 7.30 here on 101 ESPN. Face-off at 8.30 from Stan Kroenke's Ball Arena. Kroenke sucks, by the way. <laughs> Just so that you know. I was unaware. So thank you, Randy, <laughs> you for telling it. me. Yeah. Uh, so LGB. The fight, an early edition of the fight, is coming your way next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe Listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Randy Character. Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It's 819 in St. Louis. That time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We have an early edition of the fight today because we have a jam-packed 8 a.m. hour. We just spoke to David Perron. We are going to talk to Darren Pang at 8.30 and our friend Mike Claiborne at 8.45. So we need to bump up the fight. So thank you to Joe for jumping on with us early. Good morning, Joe. How are you? 
Good. How are you doing, Michelle? I'm doing well. Thanks so much. Are you ready to take on Randy in the fight today? Yeah, I'm ready to get crushed. Oh, no, Joe. You got to have more confidence in yourself. Yeah, okay. (laughs) I love it. All right, Joe. Good luck. Question number one. There are currently five active players with over 2,000 hits. Yadier Molina, Albert Pujols, Miguel Cabrera, Robinson Cano, and which National League infielder? Is it Freddie Freeman, Joey Votto, or Paul Goldschmidt? Uh, I'm going to say Joey Votto. Only three players in NHL history have six or more NHL scoring titles. Wayne Gretzky has ten. Mario Lemieux has six. And who else is in that list? Is it Connor McDavid, Stan Mikita, or Gordie Howe? Uh, Let's say Stan Mikita. Joe, what team originally drafted John Elway with the first overall pick in the 1983 NFL draft? Is it the Denver Broncos, the San Diego Chargers, or the Baltimore Colts? I think it was San Diego. And on this day in the first round of the 2018 NFL draft, a record four quarterbacks were taken in the first 10 picks. Baker Mayfield went first overall and was the first quarterback selected. Who was the second QB selected in that draft? Was it Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, or Josh Rosen? Oh, boy. (laughs) Uh, uh, Let's say Josh Allen. Okay, we are checking the score. Yep, confirmed. Waving Randy in. Joe, Randy had a day off yesterday, so that's either going to help you tremendously or it's going to hurt you because he might have spent time yesterday reading up on sports and brushing up on his trivia. <laughs> we'll see here. Hopefully, Rand- hopefully hockey reference. Hopefully hockey reference. Yeah, I had a, uh, <laughs> I had a three-day weekend, and all I did was um, read trivia stuff, especially... About, like, um, how many Blues had scored 20 points in a month and stuff like that. I figured you would. That's why you needed a day off, to brush up. I did, yeah. It was was not great. So dedicated to your craft. (laughs) Randy, say good morning to Joe. Joe, good morning. How you doing? Pretty good, Randy. How about you? I'm doing well, thanks. And by the way, you your name reminds me. Belated happy birthday to Joe Buck, who turned 54 yesterday. And happy birthday today to his sons, who are five. Wow, Big happy birthdays to the Buck fam. Yeah, no doubt. Um, Randy, are you ready? This isn't Joe Buck, is it? <laughs> Joe, are you Joe Buck? Uh, oh, me, no. Okay. Hell no. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> what if he was like, yes, yeah. it's me. <laughs> he would He would have really have to disguise his voice because he has one of the most recognizable voices right. in modern times. I think so, yeah. I mean, You're right. I don't. Can, can Joe Buck disguise his voice? Even he, even if he's disguising it, we may know. He did the Masked Singer. I've never watched that show oh, not once. Yeah, he did. And in, but that's uh, singing, right? Yeah, that's different than him talking. Yeah. I wonder. We'll we'll have to find out. We'll yeah, see. let's find out. Anyway, all right, Randy. Question number one. Yes. We're going off the rails here. There are currently five active players with over two thousand hits: Yadier Molina, Albert Pujols, Miguel Cabrera, Robinson Cano, and which National League infielder? National League infielder with two thousand hits. I'm guessing that this is a pretty old player. Can you give me the first four again? Albert Pujols, Albert Pujols Yadier Molina, Miguel Cabrera, Robinson Cano. Robinson Cano. Okay. Um, let's see. Uh, card. I'm going to say that Joey Votto has 2,000 hits. 
Only three players in NHL history have six or more scoring titles. Wayne Gretzky has 10, Mario Lemieux has six, and who else joins them at the top of that list? Six or more scoring titles. I'll do the lifeline here. Is it Connor McDavid, Stan Mikita, or Gordie Howe? I believe that I will go with Gordie Howe. Randy, what team originally drafted John Elway with the first overall pick in the 1983 NFL Draft? That would have been the Baltimore Colts. My first night in this industry, first night as an intern at KMOX, uh, he got traded from the Colts to the Broncos. And Lisa Bedian, who was a producer there at the time, allowed me to make a million phone calls. I'm calling because we didn't have internet. We didn't have cell phones, so I'm calling all over the country, calling out to Denver, calling out to uh, calling up to Baltimore, and interviewing people on my first night as an intern. It was very cool. How exciting. It was fun. So that's how he wound up as a member of the Broncos. Talking quarterbacks in the draft, on this day in the first round of the 2018 draft, a record four quarterbacks were taken in the first 10 picks. Hmm. Baker Mayfield went first overall and was the first QB selected. Who was the second quarterback selected in that draft? Third overall was Sam Darnold. I'm going to go with Sam Darnold. He had a day off. Did it recharge him? Did Randy come back with a vengeance? I hope so. Or did Joe start off his work week in a bad way? Matt, ring the bell. Go crazy, folks! Go crazy! The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Brought to you by High and Dry Foundation Repair. Just home of the non-commission-based sales force and hassle-free warranty. So I, I was concerned about High and Dry Foundation Repair, but I was also concerned about this. Just win, baby. Yeah, one day off, you, you don't even wait for the sounder to complete. You're so uh, excited to gloat, Randy. Yeah, kind of. Uh, sorry, Joe. Randy did come back with a vengeance. He got oh, the jack. Well, All four correct. You got one, though. You did get one. I'd have, I'd have been disappointed if he'd have lost. <laughs> <laughs> you know how this goes, Joe. Okay, let's run through our answers. Five active players with over 2,000 hits. It's Yachty, it's Albert, it's Miggy, it's Robinson Cano, and it is Joey Votto. In fact, Joey Votto. We talked yesterday about Jolene, his walk-up song. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Great. great pick. Only three players in NHL history have six or more NHL scoring titles. It's Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, and Gordie Howe. Wayne Gretzky has 10, Lemieux 6, and Gordie Howe also six. The team that originally drafted John Elway with the first overall pick in the 1983 NFL draft, the Baltimore Colts, as Randy told you, his fun draft night story for mm-hmm. night as an intern. And on this day in the first round of the 2018 NFL draft, a record four quarterbacks were taken with the first 10 picks. Baker Mayfield went first overall. The second quarterback selected was Sam Darnold. Joe, thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Have a great week. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Joe. I'm kind of a big deal. Yesterday, Brandy, I won the fight. Zero sounders, just so you know. Really? Yeah. No. Come on, you need your head to grow. <laughs> you develop a ridiculously stupid ego. No, I act like I've been there before. <laughs> there you go. Even though I, in fact, have never been there before. <laughs> <laughs> that's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that's The Fight on 101 ESPN. Coming up, Panger will join us. Blues and Avalanche tonight. We're going to talk about John Hamm getting four goals for the Blues the other night with Panger next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Blues booth. Boardwalk Hardwood Floors has quaint floors for every home with locations in West County, South County, St. Charles County, and our new location in Mid-County. And online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. Crouppen Celebrity Line and Blues Analyst for Valley Sports, Darren Pang, kind enough to join us, uh, as he does every Tuesday morning here on 101 ESPN with Carriker and Smallman. Good morning, Panger. How you doing? Good morning, uh, Randy and Michelle. I'm doing fantastic. Uh, the boys are uh, off to uh, Colorado playing tonight, but uh, our broadcast crew uh, came home there from Anaheim because we're not doing the game tonight, but it uh, be a fun one to watch for sure. So I'm guessing there's no real good reason to have John Hamm in the booth tonight with a, a national... Game, right? <laughs> no boy oh, was that fun or what um just, i mean really a lot i mean just spontaneous uh down to nothing not much happening um our broadcast position up there in anaheim is uh it's cramped it's uh small the monitors aren't very good i hate to be a whiner but then all, then all of a sudden what, what what we needed was a little bit of energy and there and there was john ham and he uh he brought it to the people for us for sure, and he made a he made a night that I'm sure the Blues were going to win at you know at one point anyway. They're obviously a much better team than Anaheim, but um, at, at least he made sure that they were going to win. And while he was there, scoring four goals was fantastic. And it was a special night not only because of the John Ham factor and the Blues winning Panger, but Ryan Getzlaff. It was his final NHL game, a really special ceremony before the game with his beautiful family, and we saw um, that continue after the game as well with him greeting everyone, shaking hands with all of the players. What was it like? for you to be there for that moment I, I, it was great i selfish selfishly uh those are the kind of games you want to be at when i found out that it was ryan getzoff's last game that they were going to have the ceremony i'm i'm thinking to myself what what a great honor first of all because i've you know i've seen him come into this league um you know i'm, I'm i at one point i was doing uh national stuff uh, i was i got to meet him many times i did the olympics um and uh, many of the guys that know Ryan Getzlaff, uh, like Kevin Shattenkirk, for example, that's why we had Kevin on the pregame show, uh, a former Blue, but a guy to give us some insight on what Ryan Getzlaff's all about. And, you know, he's a dying breed, and he's a breed that we want to keep in the game. It's guys like Alex Steen and, 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 uh, and Ryan Getzlaff, just to name a few, that are very important for, you know, for the, uh, for the soul of the game. And so, no, I was, I was very, I was, I was thrilled. Um, it was uh, it was nice to the players. Um, they showed great deal of respect as they should, and they stayed on afterwards. And then uh, then they left, and then they went in the locker room and let the uh, you know let the, uh, the the family and let the ducks do what they did. And um, a good moment for the ducks, but a sad moment for the ducks too because it's an end of an era. No Corey Perry, no Ryan Getzlaff. Um, they uh, they stood up for what the game is all about, and I hope that the young players that are on that team that are very skilled players. Um, but are not quite the kind of players uh, that Ryan Getzleff are. I hope they learned an awful lot from him and they continue on some of the great things that he's brought to the game. Panger, when we talk to David Braun every week, several times he's mentioned that even though he, even though he only spent a couple of months in Anaheim with Getzleff, Getzleff had as big an impact on him as any other teammate. And this is a guy that played with Malkin and Crosby and obviously has played with a lot of guys here in St. Louis. You mentioned that young players can look to Getzleff. What specifically does he do? Or is it just that he he leads by example to help young players and, and teammates get better. Well, from what I'm told, he's got a you know a little bit of that Barrett Jackman in him, mm-hmm. um, where he doesn't say very much, but when he stands up in the locker room and says something, everybody sits down. Uh, Jay Bolmeister had that here as well. Alex Steen had that. Um, you know, those are 
Well, I, I, I mean, I'll, I'll dig down a little deeper if you really want, but that whole thing that happened in uh, in Arizona with Zegras and with mm-hmm. Troy Terry, mm-hmm. uh, Getzlaff wasn't dressed for that game. He wasn't on the bench. And, and you can be sure that none of that would have happened if Ryan Getzlaff was on the bench because mm-hmm. Ryan Getzlaff likely would have told Zegras, not after the goal, not the lacrosse goal, not the skill, the way he talked to the other team and the way he went by, Ryan Getzlaff would have told him to knock it off. Okay. You know what I mean? Yep, that Those says it things. all. Yeah, those things right there. Those are, those are the intangibles that you just can't teach. Well, Panger, let's go back to that second period. Uh, four goals for the Blues, a little John Hamm magic, as we mentioned off the top, but four different Blues scoring. Jordan Cairo, Vladimir Tarasenko, Ivan Barbashev, John Hamm's guy, and Justin Falk. But it was good to see Jordan Cairo light the lamp there. What are you looking to see from Jordan Cairo in the, these last two games of the regular season as we head into the playoffs? Well, I'm still looking for a lot more. Um, I you know, I, I I still think there are some parts of his game where he's 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 hesitant. And if we're going to play against, well, we are playing against the Minnesota Wild. If we start in their building, they're going to get the matchups they want. They're a they're a team that plays hard on pucks. You, you can't shy away and you can't be slow. So what I want, I mean, what I'm looking at the game from my vantage point is get going. I mean, really skate again, skate again. Like get those legs going from underneath you. He's He's tending to kind of glide a little bit, and, and there there have been some moments of, of certainly of improvement, and that's been great. And and this the the, the success of the team isn't on the shoulders of, of Jordan Cairo, trust me. But um, he can certainly be a large part of the Blues backing off the Minnesota Wild. If he's playing a fast game, they they're going to be lookout. If he's playing one of those games where they know he, they can get it in his kitchen and rattle his pans a little bit, then boy, that's going to be a step back. So. Um, although it was good for him to score and it was great to see a smile on his face, I think there's still a, a few more uh, elements to his game that he can bring to the table. And he's got a big one tonight against Colorado. I mean, that's the kind of team that the Blues are going to have to, you know, have to have to contend and beat uh, if they're going to win the Stanley Cup. But uh, all in all, it's great to see the success of all the offense from, from the Blues. And uh, hopefully we get Braden Shen back. I don't imagine it's going to be tonight. Um, maybe on Friday or maybe for game one of the playoffs, and same with Tory Krug. So th- those are other elements of the game that will balance out the uh, the lineup uh, uh, sheet there as, as Bozak returned to the last game. Panger, I-, I have a greater appreciation for what the Blues have done when I look at their history, and we-, we can look at this streak, but with 109 points, there's only a- two other Blues teams that have had more than 109 points, and that w- included the President's Trophy winning team in 2000, and then the 2014 team. 109 points is a pretty substantial season. This has been a really good year. It, phenomenal year. I mean, you talk about a team that, at one point, we weren't sure what kind of identity they had, um, you know, how are they going to play when the games got big? Um, then they, you know, they've grown into, and maybe it coincides with getting Nick Letty at the deadline. Um, but, you know, they were still a little inconsistent going into that trade deadline. And I'm sure even Doug Armstrong and Craig Bruby were looking going, man, what, what, what do we have here? And I'm not saying it's just one player that came into the lineup, but boy, it sure has settled things down. And, um, and it's put a lot of other players in, in place as well as they were waiting for Oscar Sunwis to get healthy and get going. You know, maybe by waiting, um, knowing that he wasn't 100% healthy, that other players got moved out of their maybe a spot that they deserved. So now we're seeing that these players, and even the fourth line, even though Dakota Joshua did get sent down to make room for Tyler Bozak, Bozak came in in the last game, and I thought he was outstanding. I thought he was telling everybody, don't forget about me. I've still got some legs left in me. So, um, so that part of it's good. But they could get to 113 points. They've got, let's go through it. 
They've got five forwards with 25 or more goals. That's tied with Florida for the most in the NHL. They have eight forwards with 50 or more points. That's the most in the NHL. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's more than Colorado, Toronto, and Florida. I mean, so that's just the offensive side of the puck. The other part is the penalty kill is number one. So it's not like they're cheating on the defensive side of it just to score goals. They're, they're scoring goals and they're defending. So that's a, this has been a really a great look for the Blues. It's been entertaining and fun and, and, and competitive. So all those things aside, I'm so pumped up for the playoffs to start. So my pinger, and you have two goaltenders that are playing well uh, right now as well. Two wins for Jordan Bennington on this West Coast trip. He's won his last five games. And even though Billy Husso has been amazing for the Blues this season, he's earned that playoff spot. I wonder how long his leash is in the playoffs. A guy who hasn't done it before when you know Jordan Bennington has, and he's looked like himself the past five games. Yeah, well, leashes do get shorter in the playoffs because it's, it's desperation time. I mean, even last year in the playoffs when Florida Panthers were expected to be, uh, you know, the juggernaut and that was going to be their year, I believe Joel Quenville used all three of his goalies. So, yeah, it, pressure gets on. Um, you, can, you can tell if a goaltender um, has got his nerves intact or, or, or maybe he's unsettled, and that's up to the coach to figure that out really quick and, uh, you know, make a, tr- make a change or stay with it. But, you know, uh, Villy gave up the first two goals, not much action, but I really like the way he settled down in, in, in that game, and that says an awful lot. As far as the game in Arizona is concerned, I think the players and the coaches were a little disappointed that they, they kind of let Jordan Biddington out to hang. I mean, he had a nice little 4-1 game going on right there. There was no reason for that game to get to where it was at, but it did. And uh, I think something, uh, I'm sure something was said inside that locker room to say that's not going to happen again. And uh, so I like Jordan's game, and he's got his swagger, so... Um, I, I do believe that we're going to see Jordan tonight, and then we'll see uh, Villy on Friday, and that uh, that kind of begins the quest of Villy to start the playoffs, in my opinion. Panger, last thing: back when you played, and back in the day, it used to be that if you were if you had a chance to see a team, if the Blues in Colorado were playing tonight, second to last game of the season somebody would try to set a tone and set the stage for the playoffs. It doesn't seem like that's the case anymore. Is there really anything that we can learn by watching tonight's game, or is it just imperative for the Blues to win to get home ice in the first round? Yeah, I think that's the only goal, and, and the only motivation is just that. It's, um, you know, you're not going to play a player like, let's say, Braden Shen with, a, you know, with an injury that he's got, uh, even though I'm sure it was a game one of the playoffs he'd play, but... So you don't, you don't want to put anybody in any kind of jeopardy. But the lineup that you have out there, the main goal is to get two points because you're still trying to get home ice advantage against Minnesota. So there, there's, no, there's nothing else going on. They're struggling. Colorado hasn't found their game lately. They're giving up a ton of goals. I think the best thing that can happen in this game is to put a little dent in the armor of the Colorado Avalanche and smoke them by seven. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like really, really keep going the way you're going offensively. Make plays. Make them doubt their game a little bit because maybe that helps. If, if they end up facing each other in the second round of the playoffs. Panger, always good to have you with us. Always good to have Bruce on the show, too. Uh, yeah. we heard him I back had there. to boot him out of the room. He was, <laughs> he was, he was chewing on a Christmas toy, so uh, uh-huh. we, we had to eliminate him. Well, he, he's always welcome on Character and Smallman. I know. He might, he might get his own sponsorship pretty soon. <laughs> right. Have a great day. Enjoy the game tonight. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks. Okay, sounds great, guys. Michelle, uh, Randy, have a great one. You too. That's uh, Blues analyst Darren Pang. And by the way, tonight's game is on ESPN-TV and, of course, here on 101 ESPN. Mike Claiborne joins us next. Claibs every Tuesday, and he's got some big news, and we're going to have that big news in the 9 o'clock hour as well on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
Michelle, Randy, and we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, Mike Claiborne, Cardinal Broadcaster, and, of course, Claves Online. Good morning, sir. How you doing? I'm doing well. How about you? Good. You remember how, when we were a lot younger, a game like last night, Jack Buck would come in the next day and say he didn't sleep? Yeah, he he, did, he took those games personally. He did. He wore them, man. Uh, and I was, you know what? It's funny you even bring him up because I thought about him last night. And I think in all the years I've been doing this, I think I've come home mad like three three times. Um, blues lose that playoff series against San Jose. It was bad. And uh, the two times the Cardinals had teams in their hands, San Francisco in the playoffs one year, and that one year uh, we uh, had we had to go back to Boston. I was not a nice person that day, that <laughs> night. I was, and it's funny, my 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 wife at the time, I just rolled over, just went, oh, and that's all I could do, man. You know, but. You see these games, and you know that things like what we saw last night, it happens, and it happens to everyone. Mm-hmm. It does, Clay. You know, that's, why they don't, that's why it's not 100% perfect. That 1% always finds its way to be counted. Do you expect, we were talking about this earlier, Claves, do you expect that this is a, a teachable moment for Gallegos? I mean, Ali Marmol did not mince words last night when he talked about the situation, saying that this was a mental error, it can't happen, even he knows it can't happen. I imagine that early in the season, especially, this is something that he can build on and learn from. Oh, yeah, I, I agree. And it's not like that's something they don't practice during the season in spring training. I mean, every day in spring training they go through PFP practice. And, uh, you know, he's out there with the rest of them. It was just it was a mental mistake. Now, the problem is you can't have them. You know, we can all live with a physical mistake. But the mental ones are the ones that do you in, and they, they stay with you for a while. I mean, anybody tells you, oh, he'll forget about it. No, he won't. You know, that's something that will be on his mind. And I think the best thing that can happen to him is the next time he's on the mound, that's a similar play by have to come up and, and watch how he responds. And Claves, I, I mentioned earlier, remember when that ha- happened with Trevor Rosenthal in New York against yeah. the Mets? And yep. that was a teachable moment. I, I mentioned earlier, it was Tony, it was actually Mike Matheny and his staff, but Rosie was always covering first base after that. Well, you know, go back to 1982 when Dave LaPointe flubbed one in Game 3 in Milwaukee. Right. Play. I mean, uh, they, they stand out, man. I mean, you know, they stand out. Uh, how about with Detroit? 2006 and their pitchers thought you know baseball was a hand grenade so uh those are moments that you don't forget you just as michelle said you try to make them into a learning experience and, and you just make sure it doesn't happen again you, and what i would just say okay the once one percent it's already taking place so i'm going to be perfect now and mike I, I mentioned to michelle earlier that we we look at it today from a real micro view. It happened last night. If you yeah. take a, a macro view and you, you get to 5,000 feet and say, oh, the Cardinals lost a game that Max Scherzer started for the opposition. It, it's, that was the way that game was supposed to end anyway. Not, not no. the, yeah, the, right. the Cardinals were supposed to lose that game. Yeah, I mean, Scherzer was being Scherzer, and we didn't get much of a whiff. Then they bring in another guy, you, you cash him in. He should have scored more in that inning, but bottom line is you're right. And if you look back when this season's over, you look at the schedule, and you say, "Oh, the Mets won a game in St. Louis," you know, and you really probably won't go back to it unless you, you unless Gallegos or somebody else to bullpen it becomes a bad habit. And I don't think we're going to see that. This team is too good defensively, and the pitchers are also 
they should be included in that conversation because they really work at this. Yeah, Mike, if we're going to take anything positive out of last night's game, it has to be Miles Michaelis. He looked great. He's been looking great. Dakota Hudson has been looking strong. Steven Matz. There were so many questions about the rotation heading into the season, but so far, so good for the Cardinals. So far, so good is the right way to look at it. You know, one start at a time. Um, what they're doing is what you drew up on the board when you thought it was a good idea to give Miles uh, uh, Michaelis an extension or sign Steven Match to a, a free agent contract and, and watch the development of Dakota Hudson. You know, these are all the things you anticipated happening, you know, and, and let's hope we can keep it up. And they're going to have their bumps in the road. If you think any of these guys are going to run the table, and flirt with Danny McClain's record, then you're nuts. Uh, they're going to have a moment somewhere along the way. So you have to take that into account. But as long as they give the team a chance to win most opportunities, uh, we'll be okay. Meanwhile, next week, 5460, the Joe West podcast with Mike Claiborne begins on your favorite uh, platform for podcasts. And I know you have great guests set up. And one thing that I was telling Michelle earlier, and we're going to have Joe on the show at 915, there might not be a better storyteller around right now than Joe West. You know what? You're right. Uh, he's one of the last. And, you know, I, I'm and I'm a guy who's been around a lot of storytellers. And you have too, Randy. And, you know, you start thinking about it. But I think the reason why he might be the most intriguing is because we normally hear from former players or broadcasters. We don't hear from umpires. And he has a different view of different things. And the neat thing that I've learned about Joe over the years, and now that we're doing this podcast, he's got one of those memories like a steel trap, does not forget anything. And we were talking yesterday about a situation involving one of our guests, and I had never spoken to him about it, and he reeled it off like it happened yesterday. And I'm just amazed by it, and I think that's why this is going to be a lot of fun doing this podcast with him. Well, Clebs, how did this podcast come about? Good question. Um, one of my cohorts, uh, Joe Roderick, who was part of ClavesOnline.com, we were just sitting around shooting the breeze about what can we do that's different. He said, well, you know Joe West, don't you? I said, yeah, he's a good friend. He said, well, let's see if he want, wants to do a podcast. So I gave him a call, and I first had to explain to him what a podcast was. <laughs> you know, Once he kind of got the, got the idea, we brought in a couple of other people to be involved. Dave Green is involved, and uh, the next thing we know, we we got an agreement, and we're recording, and we we you know, and we haven't had anybody say no yet. That's the fun thing. It's kind of like uh, with Mike Shannon doing the show with him from his restaurant all those years. Very few people said no, and there was one person who I said, well, I don't know if we should ask him because they they had an issue doing it, uh, their time uh, competing. And I talked to him about. It. He said, "Yeah, just have him give me a call." <laughs> Great. And uh, so I'm like, "Really?" He said, "Yeah." <laughs> So, you know, that's been the fun thing. Um, But I'll tell you, with Joe, this is the first time, you know, he's had nothing to do in 40-plus years. So he's a guy that will call you at all times of the day and night. Hey, I got a story for Well, wait a minute, Joe. Let's save it for the podcast, okay? (laughs) You know, so it's been fun working with him. I'm looking forward to us having a lot of fun with this whole venture. We are looking forward to it as well, and you'll be able to check it out at Klaibs Online and, of course, any podcast platform that you use. Klaibs, always great to have you with us. Thanks so much for the time this morning, and we'll talk to you again next week. All right. You guys have a great week. And don't forget, the podcast drops next Monday, May 2nd, uh, our first edition. 
All right, looking forward to it. Mike Claiborne, you. you will hear him on the Cards and Mets tonight on the Cardinal Radio Network and, of course, with the Joe West Podcast. Looking forward to that. Coming up next on 101 ESPN, could tonight's results against the Avalanche change your view of the playoffs? Maybe. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Seiden Stricker Noby John Deere. Find them online at SNPartners.com. The lineup that you have out there, the main goal is to get two points because you're still trying to get home ice advantage against Minnesota. So there, there's no. There's nothing else going on. They're struggling. Colorado hasn't found their game lately. They're giving up a ton of goals. I think the best thing that can happen in this game is to put a little dent in the armor of the Colorado Avalanche and smoke them by seven. That was Aaron Pang earlier here on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN, where it's 9.03. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle... I mentioned to Darren Pang that back in the day, if this game were being played tonight with two games left in the season, the Blues and Colorado were two of the best teams in the conference and had a great chance to face each other in the division, there would have been gloves all over the ice. There would have been a line brawl in tonight's game. It would have been mayhem. And the times have changed now. We don't fight anymore. And Panger's thought process is right on, isn't it? If you want to send a message to the Avalanche tonight, you do what you did to Arizona on Easter Sunday and put up seven against, or Nashville, Nashville, and put up seven in a period against them. Absolutely. That should be the mindset going into not only this game, but these last two games. You want to have that momentum going into the playoffs. And of course, you want to send a message to the Colorado Avalanche, as you mentioned, Randy. But I don't know if there's really anything that could happen in these last two games that's going to dramatically shift the confidence that I have in the Blues heading into the playoffs. Right now, they've won 14 of their last 16 games. Both goaltenders have looked sharp. We've talked about the offensive firepower, the depth that this team has. The defense has looked solid. The tarasenko buchnevich thomas line has been the best line in hockey Mm -hmm. for the past month. They are first in goals in the NHL, first in scoring chances. They've looked great. Robert Thomas is on a 17-game point streak. We saw Jordan Cairo uh, looking alive a little bit again. I would like to see that continue. But there's just been so many positive things coming out of this team that really, from here on out, no matter what happens at to end the regular season, my confidence in the Blues won't be shaken at all. I will feel good going into the playoffs, but I would like for them just to continue, even if they can't win. And by the way, Landon, uh, Randon has been out for a while for this four-game losing streak for Colorado with an illness. Landis Cog has been out. Taves has been out. And none of them are expected to play tonight. And not only have the Avalanche lost four in a row. They lost to Washington. No disgrace. Then they lost to Seattle. They lost to Edmonton. And they lost at Winnipeg on Sunday. And that ended Winnipeg's four-game losing streak. So now the Avalanche have lost four in a row. But... Because the Blues are motivated now, and they have a carrot, their coach wants them to get home ice, I really do expect them to continue to play well. If you are dominating, and this isn't a a mirage, this is real, what we're seeing from the Blues. If you're dominating, you might as well just keep it going. And they've been able to romp over teams. They just kind of started playing the other night, right, against Anaheim. They were down 2-0 and said, okay, well, let's turn it on. Same thing in that Nashville game. 
I didn't think they had to exert extraordinary effort in either of those dominant wins. And I'd just like to see them maintain what they've been doing. Yeah, that is something that's been really interesting about this Blues team is that they find themselves oftentimes in a deficit in the first period. And whatever happens in that intermission, they turn the Jets on in the second period. They've been lights out in the second period more often than not so far this season. But yeah, isn't that indicative of the talent that's there? Mm -hmm. That you can start the game off not in the manner in which you hope. You're not starting fast. Even though a lot of times they still look good in the first period, you're not in the position that you want to be, but you can just kick it into gear later in the game. That's what makes this team so dangerous. And even when they won the Stanley Cup, they didn't always have great offensive possession time. And when the Blues are going well, that's what it's all about, is maintaining possession of the puck in the offensive zone. They did that after the first period on Sunday night. They do it when they're playing well. And They can do that. That's the great thing about this team. Even when Colorado is at full strength, the Blues are strong enough up front that they can maintain possession of the puck in the offensive zone to make it miserable for a team as talented as Colorado is because if you can't get out of your own zone, you can't score goals. And so what the Blues need to do is just keep doing what they've been doing. And I'm with you, Michelle. And it doesn't matter who's playing between the pipes now. Like like you said with Panger, and, and I think we both agree, Huso probably does get game one, but if he looks shaky, or even if he looks great, maybe Bennington has earned with his last five games the opportunity to see some playoff time. That's the interesting question for me, is even if Billy Huso looks lights out, do you try to get Bennington involved somehow in the first series if you think you're going to advance knowing that you might need to call upon him in the second series? Not only because he's been playing great, but from a confidence perspective, you want to give him those reps and mm-hmm. see, see what he looks like in the playoffs because we've seen him do it before in the playoffs, but this this season it's been inconsistent, but he's been looking great the last five games. And you don't want to mess around come playoff time, right? You no. want to win every game, but that being said, if you're in the Blues' shoes and you know there's a strong likelihood that Jordan Bennington is going to start your opener and your playoff opener next year because Husso is probably going to leave as a free agent. He's an unrestricted free agent. Aren't you inclined at least to make sure that the guy that you know you're going to have still has it in the playoffs? You would think so, but if Billy Huso is playing right out... If he pitches out, a shutout in Game 1? Then I'm I'm not messing with the hot hand either. I know you want to think about the future, and you have a lot of factors to consider here when it comes to Jordan mm-hmm. Bennington, but also, if we learned anything in the playoffs, it's don't mess with what's working. Right. The other part of this that I'm really intrigued by, Michelle is to see how 91 performs. Because last year in the sweep against Colorado, he scored two garbage goals at the end of Game 4 as they got swept. Otherwise, he was pretty invisible. And now you've got a healthy Vladimir Tarasenko, apparently happy Vladimir Tarasenko, and very effective Vladimir Tarasenko, who is one of the players in hockey. There's five, six guys that can take over a game and go one-on-four and score a goal. And he's one of those guys. I'm really interested to see... If there are points in the playoffs where Vladdy takes the team on his back. Uh, can I throw another word in yeah. there? You said he is happy. He's effective. I, I forget the first word that you healthy. used. Health. I was just going to say, isn't health yeah. the most important word yeah. in this? And in, in that the past couple of years, Vladimir Tarasenko has not been 100%. And now that he's 100%, he's reasserted himself as one of the forces in this league. And I would think... Not only is he motivated to win, but when you don't have it and you've been in the playoffs before and you you haven't had those opportunities, I would imagine you're that much 
more motivated come this year. Like we spoke about with David Perron earlier in the show. In 2020, they went in the bubble. Then last year, he didn't get to compete in the playoffs because of COVID. You you just know that it's not guaranteed, and so you want to take advantage of it while you can. Right. I think Vladimir Tarasenko is going to be unstoppable in the playoffs. I cannot wait to see 91 play. One other point, and we'll be at the game on Friday night, is the Blues take on Vegas. Vegas was in the Stanley Cup Finals in their first year and haven't made it back to the Stanley Cup Finals, but they have made it to the playoffs every year until this year. Now, we should note that the Blues missed the playoffs in 2018, came back and made the playoffs in 2019 and won the Stanley Cup. So I'm not saying that the window has completely closed for the Vegas Golden Knights, but I am saying that we should appreciate the consistent quality that the Blues have delivered over the course of Doug Armstrong's tenure. It's In terms of sports success over the course of a long period of time, it really is fantastic. And I think that we we probably should savor this rather than say, oh, they got knocked out of the playoffs. If they get knocked out of the playoffs, enjoy the fact that you're in the playoffs. And that Doug Armstrong has made one solid move after the mm-hmm. other to keep this window open. And look at the state of the Blues right now. If if when Alex Petrangelo, we found out that he was leaving the Blues, in that moment you would have said, well, in 2022, they're not only going to be going into the playoffs, they're going to have the hottest line in hockey. Mm-hmm. They're going to have um, a, a really good chance at capturing the cup and a lot of the moves that... Doug Armstrong has made to bring new faces to this team are going to be paying dividends. You'd be like, yeah, okay, maybe. But he's the captain. He's the first guy in Blues franchise history to hoist the cup. You can't really replace a guy like that. But Doug Armstrong has proven that while everyone else is playing checkers, he's playing chess. Yeah, and two other teams in Blues history have scored 109. Only two other teams besides that have scored more than 109. And this team has 109 heading into tonight's game. 7.30 pregame, 8.30 faceoff for the Blues and the Avalanche here on 101 ESPN. That's today's big thing. Coming up, former MLB umpire Joe West, who has a new podcast coming out Monday, joins Michelle and Randy on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. There are a lot of people that don't remember baseball without Joe West as one of the umpires. Made his debut September 14th of 1976 and then made his last appearance as a Major League umpire last year on October 6th after 5,460 games. And now Joe has a new podcast with our friend Mike Claiborne that will debut on Monday. And Joe West is with us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Joe, good morning. How are you doing? Oh, it's great. How are you guys doing today? Everything's good. So, uh, Joe West moves from umpire to podcast co-host. How did this occur? Well, Mike called me and he says, all the stories that I have to tell, I should put them on the air. (laughs) (laughs) He said, I got this idea and I think it would be fun because you got so many stories and so many memories in baseball. And and so I said, well, what do you propose? And we talked for a little bit and then... uh, it was a, it was a, I thought it was a good idea, and the, and the coolest thing about it is, everybody that we have as a guest uh, will just tell stories about the good things that happen. We don't have to be controversial. I mean, I've had enough controversy in my life, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, Joe, who are some of the guests that are going to be joining you and Mike Claiborne on the podcast? Well, we we've already interviewed uh, Mark Grace, and uh, we're going to interview. 
some of these celebrities, you will think, how, how in the world does Joe West know them? But uh, I, I've had conversations with Gene Autry's widow, Jackie. She wants to come on and chat for a little while. And and I've uh, contacted Peter Ubrall's office, and uh, and uh, we've got uh, a whole bunch of people that were lining up. And I, I'd hate to I hate to say anything because you might, you know look into this and say, well, who's he going to have next? And that's what I really want. You know, I'd like to create the interest where you're going to be looking every week to see who's going to be on. Joe West, I I know that you have a special affinity for St. Louis, honored a couple of times at the Baseball Writers' Dinner, and you met your wife, Rita, here in St. Louis, right? What's your favorite St. Louis story? (laughs) Well, I hate hate to repeat this because it picks on Tim McCarver, but... (laughs) The the story about Tim going to the mound to talk to Bob Gibson when Bob said that you need to get back behind home plate because the only thing you know about pitching is you can't hit it. <laughs> so, I, I hate to bring that up, but it is funny, and uh, you know, and uh, Tim's a longtime uh, legend there in St. Louis, and uh, and I actually had him uh, in Philadelphia when he when he got traded up there. But uh, that, that's one of my one of my favorite stories, and you know. Uh, Mike Shannon's uh, restaurant downtown, where used to she used to be the general manager there. That was um, a, a haunt for everybody. Everybody used to go over there after the game, and and I can remember going over there. Mike saying, "You know, I I hate the rules of baseball because I, I I went home for six one time and the game was canceled and called off." And, uh, I said, but Mike, it was opening day of the season. Your batting average didn't go down at all. He said, yeah, but it was at zero. It's tough to make up over six, you know. <laughs> well, Joe, you, the podcast, 5460, the record number of games that you umpired in the regular season, that's a long time to do something. Do you miss it at all? Well, you, you know, the, the travel is so bad, and as you get older, it gets tougher on your to to get up and, and make these early morning flights to go to the next town. So no, I don't miss that at all. I do I do miss the game because it's a great game, and and I've always said this: the the greatest part of the game is you're witnessing a piece of history every day. Some days it's just a little bigger history than others. You know, I was uh, I was lucky enough that I had. Uh, uh, guys like Willie McCovey. I had Willie McCovey's 500th home run when I was behind. I was behind the plate, and the, the only reason I knew it was his 500th home run was because they showed it on the scoreboard after he hit it. <laughs> and I was at first base for Nolan Ryan's fifth no hitter. I was at uh, first base when Pete Rose tied the record for most consecutive games with a hit, and I was behind the plate the next day when he broke it. And um, th- th- things like that, you know, you look back on. It, I've been in six World Series and. Uh, ten league championships and and playoffs and stuff and it, and so uh, and even my last game the walk off home run between the Dodgers and the Cardinals in uh, Dodger Stadium to go to the it was a wild card game I mean your your piece of history and it's a cool thing and I I'm looking at a picture right now on my wall here that. Um, when I broke the record for the most games umpired by a major league umpire in Chicago, there's over a hundred people on the field here getting up with me after the game, and and they range from uh, the Oak Ridge boys to Larry Gatlin to uh, Emmy Lou Harris to uh, Dave Casper and Paul Krause who are in the Football Hall of Fame. There's six different umpires there, and uh, and there's a guy in the back who, who was. Uh, 
died two days later after after being at the event and, and it was it's just a special thing the, the chicken even came out of retirement to go to that game <laughs> <laughs> San Diego chicken that's great and you mentioned all those country stars you of course had the nickname the cowboy and did the the country album did you meet those people through your singing endeavors well, you know, it's funny. I met the Oak Ridge Boys through Mickey Gilly and Johnny Lee. They were performing in North Carolina, and I was up there. And that's how I met them the first time. Actually, I might have met the Oak Ridge Boys before I met Mickey and, and Johnny, but uh, we really got to know each other then. And then uh, they've been friends for over 40 years. I, it's it's amazing that, uh, you know, uh, Richard Sturban, the, the bass singer in that group, he was... Uh, one of the original founders of the Nashville Sounds. He and Conway Twitty and um, Roy Clark started the Nashville Sounds mm. there, and they're, they're the AAA team in Nashville now. And, and I mean, they follow baseball religiously. It was funny. I met them. Uh, they played in St. Charles there around St. Louis, uh, I want to say a couple of years ago, and they invited us to the show. And and uh, we got to, we met them before the, before the show, and and then I took Rita inside, and as we're walking in, who's coming off stage but Larry Gatlin and the Gatlin brothers. So she got to meet Larry there. And then we walk a little bit further, and she got to meet Tanya Tucker. So cool. <laughs> it's, just, it's, been, it's been fun. And uh, this, this job opened a lot of doors for me. I mean, I met presidents, doctors, lawyers, and Indian chiefs, you know. And <laughs> so... That's great. Joe uh, West, former Major League umpire with us on 101 ESPN and the Joe West podcast, 5460 with the Joe West podcast with Mike Claiborne drops on Monday. Hey, Joe, you mentioned with Tim McCarver that you had the relationship with him and you had him in Philadelphia. What was it like for an umpire to have Yadier Molina over the course of the last 17 or 18 years? Well, he's a great catcher. I mean, you know, he he lets you see the pitch, which is so important. You know, it's a lot of people... Uh, don't realize how important it is for the for the catcher to to give you a look at the pitch. You know, uh, Molina's good. Uh, Jerry Grody was good. Steve Yeager was good. One of the hardest guys to work behind was Bench because Bench was so big, and uh, so and and Johnny knew that, and he'd sit right in the middle of the plate so he wouldn't get in your way. <laughs> he, he didn't move inside to, to try to get a pitch inside. He would sit in the middle of the plate and hold the glove where it wanted the ball because he knew he was so big. If he moved, he would be in your way. And uh, so they caught, you know, each of them a little bit different. You know, Benito Santiago was good to work behind. Manny Sanguian was good to work behind. And But uh, they knew that their their job was to let the umpire see the pitches. And, and Molina was very good at that. So... Joe, at the beginning, we were laughing about how how the job of an umpire inherently comes with controversy. There's the human element. You have to make split-second decisions. There's got to be a lot of pressure involved in that. And you've had such a great career. But when you look back on it, if there's one call that you could have back, if if I granted you one wish and you could go back in that moment and do it over, is there one that that you would describe for us? Wow. You know, I was very lucky. The the controversial stuff that I had – uh, like the interference in the outfield with uh, Altuve hit the ball in, in the playoff, uh, I got that right. The the plays at third base, I got right. The, the interference call in the World Series with the Marlins and the Indians, I got that right. The the tough plays that that, that 
a guy like Don Denkinger or Jimmy Joyce had, they have to live with those the rest of their life because they're magnified so much in, in the big moment of the game. Like we're talking about, you're witnessing a piece of history every day. And you, you don't understand how much that taxes an umpire and how much pressure that puts on them. I mean, I'm, I'm working the uh, Clay Buckholtz first full start in the big leagues in Boston. And we get to the eighth inning, I look up on the scoreboard, and he's got a no-hitter, and I'm going, oh, this is great. I've got a no-hitter here. i got to pay attention. I can't miss anything now, you know. And so I'm waiting a little bit longer on every pitch to be sure I get it right, you know. And the last pitch comes in, breaking ball right down the middle, and I wait, and I wait, and the catcher's going, are you going to call this? <laughs> <laughs> and so I call strike three, but – I mean, you don't realize that there's a lot of pressure you put on yourself to do this. And uh, and I, I tell I tell young umpires all the time, I said, you have three responsibilities. Your first responsibility is to the game of baseball. And that might not mean the commissioner's office. It means to the game itself. And your second responsibility is to your profession. And that might not mean the union, but to the profession of umpiring. And your third responsibility is to know what you, do what you know is honest and morally correct in your heart. And if you do things in that order, nothing you do will be wrong. And you can, you're only human. You can only do the best you can. And like I said, do what's morally and honest, correct in your heart. Now, when you do that, you may get killed for it, but you will always be right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That's the key. Absolutely. We're looking forward to the podcast, Joe West, 5460, the Joe West podcast with Mike Claiborne, and it drops on Monday. That'll be the first episode. We can't wait for it to start. We thank thank you so much for your time this morning, and hopefully we'll be able to do this again and help promote the podcast further. Absolutely. We'll get both of you guys on there. (laughs) Sounds good, Joe. (laughs) That'll be fun. Yeah. Take care. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. See if that is Joe West, the Cowboy on 101 ESPN. I'm sure that podcast is going to be so fun to listen to. He probably does have great stories. No doubt about it. Looking forward to it. Coming up, NASCAR is coming to St. Louis in June, and we're going to talk to NASCAR driver Chris Bell about racing at Worldwide Technology Raceway and his experiences there so far. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Michelle and Randy with you on 101 ESPN and Michelle a terrific performance last night from Jason Tatum as the Boston Celtics eliminated the Brooklyn Nets 116 to 112 was the final in the St. Louis and Jason Tatum had 29 points, 9 of 16 from the floor, and he has emerged as one of the faces of the NBA. It was a couple of years ago that Kevin Harlan, who does the NBA on TNT, called on this very station, Jason Tatum, one of the five best all-around players in the league. Hard for me to pick four better than him now. I don't I don't know who you'd say at both ends of the floor is better than Jason Tatum. I think that that's the key, right? Is that he's doing it in every aspect of his game. He is he is the guy for the Celtics. He's out Kevin Durant is who most people would say is the best player in the world. And Jason Tatum was not only outscoring him in this series, but defensively, he absolutely locked him down. KD only had 15 points during the entire series when Jason Tatum was his primary defender. That's remarkable. That's a great stat. And tells you where he is right now. And you look at the East, and actually you look at the entire NBA, 
and you try to find a player where you say, okay, that's a bad matchup for Jason Tatum. There are some, he's never going to have to face Embiid. He's never going to have to face Jokic or things like that head on. But in terms of people that are playing forward or guard, that he matches up with size-wise, he's as quick as anybody, his hands are as quick as anybody's. I don't know that there's one player where you'd say, okay, in a one-on-one size notwithstanding, he's going to get beat because he is so intense and ferocious. I know. And how exciting is it to watch him go from star in this league to superstar right in front of our mm-hmm. very eyes? And I think that's that's what we're seeing. And I love that he's getting that recognition from everybody, that every every national pundit that is watching the, these playoffs and watch that series unfold and the Celtics sweep the Nets. Well, they're, they're talking about the, the failure of the Nets. They're talking about what Kevin Durant looked like in the series. Of course, they're talking about Ben Simmons. Mm-hmm. But then the, right up there as a conversation point is that Jason Tatum is becoming the, one of the faces of the league. And I, I'm wondering now as they traverse this. Miami is going probably going to beat Atlanta. They're up 3-1 in that series. Miami has multiple good players. Obviously Jimmy Butler, but Tyler Hero has remained a really good player. Bam Abadayo, their center is really good. And you've got Milwaukee. And with Chris Middleton out, I don't know that Milwaukee matches up particularly well with the Celtics. And the main reason that people don't match up well with the Celtics is because of Tatum. And they have they, Jalen Brown's a nice player. Mm-hmm. Smart's a nice player. They've got really nice parts, but the fulcrum, the centerpiece, is the St. Louis guy, who, by the way, last week had tweeted a photo and had a St. Louis Battlehawks shirt in his locker. And it was a tweet, by the way, of him and his son, and yeah. he said, there's nothing cooler than being a dad. I'm paraphrasing because there was a swear word in there. Yeah. But not only... Is he so? I love how he brings his son around all the time, Randy. When you look at some of these st- these stars in the league, a lot of times they come with drama, or there's mm-hmm. always some sort of controversy because that's what the NBA is, right? It's a soap opera. Jason Tatum is the opposite of that. He is as steady as they come. He's an amazing face of the franchise. Anytime you see him, he's hyping up his teammates. He's hyping up St. Louis. He has Deuce running around the locker room with the guys. I just don't think you could ask for anything else as a face of the league. And when I go back to that draft, Randy, to think that Markel Fultz and Lonzo Ball were selected before this guy, can you imagine what the Lakers and the 76ers think about when they go back to that draft of what could have been for those franchises? And Philly traded up to get Markel Fultz. They traded out of Three I know. to trade up to get the guy. And I know the Lakers want won a title with LeBron in the bubble, so they're probably not as mm-hmm. upset about it. But to think that you could have had Tatum instead of Lonzo Ball. Yeah. And Tatum and Embiid together? Yeah, that would have been something. I know there's a lot of people out there that are bored by the NBA. They don't like the NBA. But I hope as a St. Louis, and you can appreciate not only that this is one of the premier athletes in the country, but... He rides or dies with St. Louis. He's always talking about St. Louis. He cares about this community. And if they get, I don't know if they are, allow players to take the the NBA, champ, the Larry O'Brien trophy to their city. But I guarantee if they do allow it, that the NBA trophy is going to land here in St. Louis with Jason Tatum. Either way, trophy or not, he's having a party in St. Louis when they win yeah, the, the NBA title. But you're right. It's so cool to see him always rep St. Louis, whether it's in the shoes that he's wearing or designing or any commercial that he does. If it's Beats by Dre, he's talking about how he's from St. Louis. He, as you mentioned, had the Battlehawks jersey in his mm-hmm. locker. He's constantly repping the city. He is the definition of hardly home but always repping and <laughs> if we had an NBA team in town we would obviously pay more attention to the league but I think it's almost more fun for me to 
follow along in this way because my only emotional connection to the NBA is one guy who really rides mm-hmm. or dies for our city. I don't I don't have the the turmoil of our local team being bad or whatever. But by the way, if we did get a team here in St. Louis, you know Jason Tatum would want to be a part of it some no way, somehow. Question. Right. So it's pretty cool to watch him play. And these are intriguing NBA playoffs because it's not same old, same old. I kind of like playoffs without the Lakers and LeBron being in. And I didn't know if I would, but I'm enjoying these playoffs without LeBron and that predictability. And by the way, it's a new look Golden State. People got tired of Golden State, but now Jordan Poole is kind of like their, their go-to guy. Phoenix is back, but they're doing it without Devin Booker. Philadelphia Embiid finally has taken over. Maybe they needed to get rid of some of the people that were there, and like Ben Simmons specifically, and maybe. He, oh, he's still he's still been involved in these playoffs, oh, right? He's just right, not he on has. the court. Yeah, but it, the the Sixers needed. Sometimes you just need to know that you have a guy. You don't want to have two guys. You want to have a guy. And Joel Embiid is the guy. Kind of like Giannis with everybody else. Giannis is the guy in Milwaukee. Now Embiid is the guy in Philadelphia. But I love that he is still calling out James Harden saying we need more from Mm -hmm. them. I need the coach to tell him we need more from them. (laughs) So whether it's Ben Simmons or James Harden, Joel Embiid's still not afraid to stir the pot with his teammates. Yeah. And tomorrow night, by the way, we have the Bulls and the Bucks game five here on 101 ESPN. That pregame at six o'clock and we'll have much more NBA action for you throughout the course of the rest of these playoffs. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, we've got your Killing Me Smalls on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. And June 3rd through 5th, NASCAR comes to the St. Louis metro area. Worldwide Technology Raceway will host the first ever Enjoy Illinois 300. And one of the people that's going to be racing that weekend is Chris Bell, who joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Chris, thanks for taking some time with us this morning. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. And you have raced at Worldwide Technology Raceway in the past. What do you think of the track? Yeah, I, I love it. I mean, it's been a really good place for me, so I'm probably a little bit biased. Uh, I was fortunate enough to win a NASCAR Truck Series race there back in 2016. So it's something I'm really looking forward to, to get back for the Enjoy Illinois 300 uh, on June 5th, and I think it's going to be a great show. Christopher, I'm always interested in how professional athletes and, and people that are elite in their professions get to where they are. When did you first get involved in racing? How old were you? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much been my entire life. I I started racing whenever I was six years old uh, in Oklahoma, where I grew up. And now here I am at 27 years old in the, the, you know, the America's Top Series and the NASCAR Cup Series. So very fortunate to be where I am driving for Joe Gibbs Racing. And, you know, I, I love my life, love my job and wouldn't want it any other way. And speaking of your home state in Oklahoma, when you won Daytona, it was you're actually the first driver that came from Oklahoma to ever win in the NASCAR Cup Series. That was a surprising stat, but how special is that for you to be the first person to do that for your home state? Yeah, I mean, it's just it, it really is a dream come true. Growing up in Oklahoma, we we don't have any NASCAR racing in the area, so uh, it was. You know, as a kid growing up, I never thought that I would be a NASCAR Cup Series driver. So I'm thankful that I've been able to make it. And it's really cool to, um, you know, have kids and kids and racers from Oklahoma come up and tell me they look up to me and, and, you know, wanted to do what I'm doing. So uh, hopefully it's 
open the door for Oklahoma race car drivers to make it to NASCAR. Chris Bell with us on 101 ESPN. He drives the number 20 Stanley DeWalt Irwin Tools Toyota Camry for Joe Gibbs Racing. You mentioned that you race for Coach Gibbs. Do you remember him coaching in the NFL? No, that was probably a little bit before uh, you know I started following the, the sports side. So uh, I do not, but I've heard a lot of stories. You know, got to see all of his his Super Bowl ring, so that's really cool. And and what's it like? How involved is he these days? Yeah, he's he's super involved. He's always in our team meetings, and you know he tries to kind of let the drivers do their things until you screw up. And then if you screw up and and don't run good, he's he's right there asking, you know, what's going on? What do you need to do better? Hey, Chris, I wanted to ask you about the number twenty car because that number has a great history in NASCAR. How cool is it for you to be driving the number twenty car? Yeah, it's so cool. You know, I remember as a kid growing up watching Tony Stewart drive the Home Depot number 20 for Joe Gibbs. And now for me to be in the same position is, you know, it's, I hate to keep using the term dream come true, but that's what it is. You know, I'm, I'm living my dream, get to drive race cars for a living, drive for Joe Gibbs. Uh, life's good. Hey, a couple more things. Number one, how grueling is this schedule for you? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a long one, that's for sure. We've been going at it every week since Daytona, which was in the the middle of February, and you know the we'll, we'll race all the way up until the first couple of weeks in November. But with that being said, you know it, it's I get to drive a race car every week, so <laughs> it's it's pretty good, and and I love what I do. And finally, you get to see every event, and you're there every week for fans that haven't been to a NASCAR event that are listening right now, sports fans that haven't really had the opportunity to go to a NASCAR event with the the access to uh, the infield and pit row with the the fan fest. There's a lot of cool stuff surrounding NASCAR, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, they've, they've got it going on right now. It's really cool to see the resurrection, I guess you could call it, of NASCAR. You know, we've had great, great TV ratings and great turnouts at the majority of the races this year. So I expect the cup race in St. Louis to be another home run. I know that all of us drivers are super excited to getting about getting to a new market, a new racetrack, someplace that we've never been before. And you know, I think it's going to be a great race. Chris Bell will be part of the NASCAR Cup Series field for the inaugural Enjoy Illinois 300. It's Sunday, June 5th at Worldwide Technology Raceway, 2.30 St. Louis time. Ticket information at www.raceway.com. Chris, thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. Good luck the rest of this month up until we see you in early June. Thank you. We'll see you guys there. You bet. Take care. That's Chris Bell. He's a NASCAR driver driving the Joe Gibbs number 20 and a guy that I'm going to root for when he gets to St. Louis. I'm a Joe Gibbs fan, too. Are you? Yeah, I am. He was coach of the Washington football team when they were good. Long time ago. It was a long time ago. (laughs) All right, we head down the stretch a little. What's on tap for you here on 101 ESPN? Blues and Avalanche tonight, an 8.30 faceoff, and the Cardinals will play the Mets at 6.45. I'm interested to see... How the Cardinals respond to last night. Those are the worst losses that you can take when you have a lead in the ninth inning and your closer can't hang on for whatever reason. And so I'm intrigued to see how the Cardinals, and especially because they're basically a veteran team, how do they respond? You know, something that we didn't really touch on today is I'm interested to see the response from Nolan Arenado. This is somebody Mm -hmm. who does not make mistakes like that, who is very competitive. You know that that is something that has been eating at him since the ninth inning of last night. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see a big game from him. I would not be surprised either. And I also will be intrigued because... 
Gallegos threw a lot of pitches last night. I would think that Gallegos probably isn't available tonight, but tomorrow there's a day game, and if there's a save situation tomorrow, my guess would be that Marmol and Maddox would want to get Gallegos back in there and back up on the saddle as soon as possible. Wouldn't you? If you were in that position, I would want yeah. to get him right back out there because the longer you wait, the longer that you think about it, and it becomes more right. of a thing. Right. Michelle, do you like to give away tickets? Always, Randy. Always. Well, we have your chance to win free tickets to see Dead and Company on June 21st at Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. Tickets for the show are on sale now, and you can find a bonus chance to win free tickets for Dead and Company right now at 101ESPN.com or on your 101 mobile app. Michelle, you spoke earlier to David Perron, and he said some interesting things to you. Uh, what do people need to know from that interview, though? We did uh, a fun end-of-season senior superlatives with David Braun, and during that conversation, he revealed that they play cards on the plane. And I asked him who was the best card player and the worst card player on the team. Who's the worst card player on the St. Louis Blues? That's going to be the question to win the tickets. And if you do... Text in 65780 with the correct answer, and you have correct answer number 57 in honor of David Braun. You're on your way to see Dead and Company June 21st at Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. Tickets for the show are on sale right now. And uh, Michelle, today you and I are going to head over to the ballpark. The Cardinals have their used to be annual until COVID hit, uh, radio personalities luncheon. So we're looking forward to reconnecting with our friends from the Cardinals and from the radio business. I am so excited to go to the ballpark today, Randy. But today's one of those stressful days when you have two games that you really want to watch. Cardinals and Mets, of course, you want to be locked into that. But you have the Blues and the Avalanche as well. It's going to be really difficult. Two games you want to watch to slash listen to. We're going to have to have multiple screens and earbuds going so we can listen to Curbs and Joey while we're at the ballpark. That's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. just uh, tune into 101 ESPN for the Blues and the Avalanche. Thankfully, though, it's a later game for the Blues. Pre-game starting at 730 here on 101 ESPN. And by the way, as Panger pointed out, that game is not on Bally tonight. That's an exclusive ESPN game. So it's an 830 face-off tonight on ESPN, and you can check that out. And then only one game left. Friday night, you'll have the... Uh, the Golden Knights in town. And a week from today, we're going to be talking Blues playoffs. I can't wait. I cannot wait. This team, Randy, I'm getting a a good vibe. I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but I don't think that there's any one matchup that I I would be scared about for the Blues to have in the playoffs. There was a time within the last couple of weeks where we were asked and we asked each other, are the Blues peaking too soon? And I don't, I, I think they're maintaining a, a peak. I, I don't know that they can play a lot better than they've played in some of their recent games. But it looks like they're they've reached their apex and they're just staying there. Yeah, this this what you call it the Pacific Time Zone road trip, yeah. not the West Coast yeah, road trip. Well. Pacific Time Zone road trip. They they maintained the energy. Obviously, a lot of wins that they racked up. The point streaks continues for certain guys that. Tarasenko, Buchnevich, Thomas Line continues to roll. There's Jordan Bennington returning back to form. Not only did they not peak too soon, they, they've maintained that peak at the right time. They are hot at just the right time. And one guy that I'm going to look at game one of the playoffs is the guy that won the Conn Smythe last time the Blues won the Stanley Cup. Because if there is one guy who has not peaked, I think it's reasonable to say that we haven't seen the best of Ryan O'Reilly. How crazy is that? That when we list reasons that we're confident in the Blues, we rarely mention the captain. It's amazing, isn't it? It really is because, amazing. And, and if there's a key face-off in the defensive zone at the end of the game, he's taking it. Yes. If, you have, if you're protecting a one-goal lead at the end of the game, he's protecting it. But 
offensively, he hasn't been what he would like this year. Sure. And you take it because your team is so good. But I do think there's more there for Ryan O'Reilly in the playoffs. Yes, he's still doing so many things to contribute to this team's success. But you're right, those stats that you would expect from him, offensively not necessarily there. But we've seen him put this team on his back time and time again when they need it. I'm with you, Randy. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a Ryan O'Reilly explosion in the postseason. All right. Do we have a winner? We do. It is uh, Kyle. Kyle, congratulations. You are headed to see Dead and Company over at the... Hollywood Hollywood Casino Amphitheater, June 21st. He knew that the worst blues cards player is... Mackenzie McEachern. Mackenzie McEachern. And you can find a bonus chance to win free tickets for Dead & Company right now at 101ESPN.com or on your 101 mobile app. We would like to thank the people that joined us today, who included Eli Drinkwitz, David Perron, Darren Pang, Mike Claiborne, Joe West, and Chris Bell. And if you missed any of the show, you can hear it on our podcast brought to you by... Our friends at Dobbs Tire and Auto Center, the podcast available at 101ESPN.com. The man who procured those guests doing such a great job for us all the time is our producer engineer, the one and only Matthew Rocchio. Pleasure. And Michelle, this was fun. We'll do it again tomorrow. I'll see you on hump day. We will have cards and blues to talk about tomorrow for all of us. Thanks for tuning in, texting in, and being part of the show. Don't forget, you've got a balloon party with T-Mac and Ajax coming up. Hey, have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dom's Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Here's the lowdown on lowering bad cholesterol from Lecvio. Lowering bad cholesterol is hard, but you could do hard. You live through five fad diets, 11 sleep training nights, nine mediocre middle school recitals, one heart attack, And with Lecvio, you can lower your bad cholesterol and keep it low with two doses a year after two starter doses. Prescription Lecvio in glycerin is given by a doctor for people with known heart disease on a statin with diet who need more help lowering bad cholesterol. Common side effects were injection site reaction, joint pain, urinary tract infection, diarrhea, chest cold, pain in legs or arms, and shortness of breath. Results may vary. Learn more at Lecvio.com or call 1-833-537-8462. Ask your doctor about Lecvio. That's L-E-Q-V-I-O. Lower, longer, Lecvio. GEICO asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, GEICO can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners' or renters' coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today.